Some people call me a terrorist. I consider myself a teacher. America. Ready for another lesson. In 1864 in Sand Creek, Colorado, the US military waited till the friendly Cheyenne Braves had all gone hunting, waited to attack and slaughter the families left behind and claim their land. 39 hours ago, Ali Al Salam Air Base in Kuwait was attacked. I, I, I did that. A quaint military church filled with wives and children, of course. The soldiers were out on maneuvers. The Braves were away. President Ellis, you continue to resist my attempts to educate you, sir. And now you've missed me again. You know who I am. You don't know where I am. You'll never see me coming. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I'm a fan of classic movies. Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of audio commentaries dedicated to discussing cinema that fascinates us in a way we hope fascinates you. We're your co-hosts, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. And I'm Levi. And you'll never hear us us coming. coming. uh, You know who we are. You don't know where we are. (laughs) little intro of sorts that we had was from Iron Man 3 uh, from 2013, written and directed by Shane Black. You've not seen Iron Man 3, right, Levi? Mm -mm. Do you have any interest in seeing Iron Man 3? I never have seen it coming. No, I haven't seen the second one either. So well, there you go. Yeah, uh, but we we just found. <laughs> I didn't really that like the be, original uh, Iron Man when it came out. I wasn't really a fan. So. Yeah, but we just thought you know we're gonna be talking about like terrorism on film today. You know, in a popular sense, and you know what the Mandarin's going for there. Which, by the way, the Mandarin is usually seen as Iron Man's kind of arch nemesis in the comics, um, historically going back to like the seventies, and. I remember when like the lead up to Iron Man three, were like, oh wow, they're going to adapt him. It's going to be so politically incorrect, and then blah blah. And they really did like this whole bait and switch thing with that character. That uh, it's not much of a spoiler to say he's not exactly who you think he is uh, to yeah. the point of not really being the villain of the movie. But um, you know, this that that you know, being Kingsley, who we do we like being Kingsley genuinely? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, I get. I think of certain things like, of course, sexy well, I mean, he's beast, in a lot like of garbage. Like, yeah, I he's mean, really uh, great in some yeah. like sexy. No, beast, he's but... in a lot of really bad movies. Yeah, uh, but I, I've Have always you ever liked seen Gandhi. Him, yeah, I think it's, it's been right. a long time yeah. since I've seen that. I remember thinking it was okay. As a you know, what's funny is but... literally okay. So 
a trip down memory yeah, lane. There we go. I haven't done that in a while. Mm-hmm. This won't be about the Beta Club convention. It might turn into that somehow. Who knows? But so the uh, when I first saw Gandhi, it was in seventh grade. Remember, I teach seventh grade. You don't know where I am. Yeah. Uh, but I saw it then. Funny enough, I had that same class I saw that in uh, in the same room I'm teaching now. Mm-hmm. And guess what DVD is still yeah, really, in that cabinet? Yeah. is Gandhi. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm not certain that's the same DVD, but because there was a teacher, a teacher, in, <laughs> some think I'm a teacher. Yeah. Uh, you're resisting my efforts to educate you, sir. Um, that's me when <laughs> kids aren't doing their remote work, you know? <laughs> like, you keep resisting my attempts to educate you, sir. Like... Or madam, or they. Uh, but, um, anyway, there has been people in there since that teacher that I had then, but, yeah. I mean, it's got to be the same DVD. Do you I consider mean. yourself a teacher? I, I guess so. <laughs> I, mean, I do, <laughs> myself. Yeah. I, I think the state does. Yeah, legally. So, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, so there you go. But, and yeah, we're going to anyway. teach you a little something today. <laughs> About Operation Swordfish, or as the film from 2001 calls it, Swordfish. Yeah, I didn't know there was such a big Operation Swordfish. I just thought it was just Swordfish, but... Well, see, Swordfish has many grand secrets to it that uh, we're going to try to answer as many of them as we can today. So, Swordfish from 2001. Uh, I I think it's really hilarious, too, the two movies that are on either side of this... Casablanca last week, and then we'll reveal what, uh, at the very end of this well, podcast. I almost next spoiled what it was last week. Yeah, but... uh, which will in of itself involve actually like kind of a little mini series of pods, mm-hmm. uh, one, two, and then like a bonus uh, pod after that. So try to get get your get your noodle cranking up trying to figure out what that or is. Or just but... go back and hear me say the yeah, and yeah. then you know yeah. I get. Uh, yeah. uh, but again, it's I don't know oh, sorry, why wait, we ex- uh, wait Planet Apes what. So wait, so there's this <laughs> monkey planet, right? Well, that's what I've heard. Okay, I think they play swordfish there. Oh, they do. Yeah. Okay, well, on the big you can, screen, I mean, you or can, just like as a you, game, they can practically like... taste the brain matter because oh, okay. that's all they eat. But yeah. So the fact that this comes in between Casablanca and our film next week is kind of laughable, and I don't think we exactly scheduled it that way. That's just kind of the way yeah. we're like, well, we'll do this and then this and then this, yeah. like very <laughs> casually, matter of factly. Uh, it's a movie that, as we're going to talk about, um, is not good. Um, but as I said last week, I have a certain nostalgia for it because I remember seeing it on TNT and uh, the edited yeah, that's version. A, that's a TNT movie. Yeah, I mean the movie. edited TV version of it. And I remember it's one of those movies, as I said last week, as a kid in like the early to mid-2000s, for, you know, loosely your generation too. Like, you know, there's just those certain movies you see and you're like, oh man, this is very sophisticated. This is very interesting. Like Valkyrie, yeah. I think we talked yeah. about, was a version of that uh, in previous weeks. Yeah. Um, and then Swordfish really occupied that space for me that when I saw it, I was like, oh man, this is cool. This is slick. This is sexy. This is, you know, this. And then it's like meta. And it was like referencing and talking about movies that I hadn't even seen yet. And me were thinking, oh man, yeah, that's so smart. That's so witty. That's so edgy. And then you go back and watch it later and you're like, this is so dumb yeah. and so juvenile. Yeah. And of course, like, it, the movie feels like it's written by a fairly smart but arrogant 15-year-old. Yeah. Um, and those values are then uh, expressed on screen in many right. ways as well. Um, fairly unintelligently, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but, but they're actually adults right. that made it. Right. So that's like... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we'll get through the cast of that movie. I, I'm not sure what each of them were searching for with the project. Um, 
but John Travolta, which I had a lot of fun reading some of the reviews and his uh, haircut being described as, quote, Euro trash at one point yeah. was uh, particularly... Well, it looks awful. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean... For not, an incredibly... Can I be real insulting towards John Travolta? I was like, for an incredibly relatively ugly man to have in his aging... You know, yeah, because I mean, like, you look at him in yeah, Saturday Night I mean, Fever, he yeah, was or like blowout yeah. or whatever, or he you know, blew out, or, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> or even Carrie, you know. What whatever. about like, say, uh, Pulp Fiction? Or... No, it's starting there. It's like he's a very weird looking person who doesn't look real, <laughs> like, he doesn't look like <laughs> well, a real person. He's probably right? had his work done, right? And, that, and I surgery, think yeah. that is part of it, yeah, is that in that amount of time he did that i've never really been a fan of john travolta anyway he can be so, situationally all right to good yeah i think for this movie he actually is good no i mean no, he gets yeah, what he's yeah. in and is really hamming it up uh but but let's not let's not put the cart before yeah. the horse we'll we'll get there eventually well you'll never see us coming but before we get to swordfish we gotta we just gotta get into that blue plate special <coughs> You'll never see me right here. I was a little worried there for a second. Oh, are we not still going with the right here? Yeah. But you, but, but yeah. you, you landed the plane. Uh, speaking of landing aircraft, uh, mate one. <laughs> a movie that does not remotely involve yeah, aircraft. I thought we were going to be getting into our airport thing, but we haven't actually watched another airport No, but movie, Baggage but... Claim will return. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll, it will we'll, return. So James worry. Bond will return. You ever notice that with those old James Bond? Well, any James Bond movie. So I was like, James Bond will return in like I'm worried that he won't. You know, did they say that at the end of No Time to Die? I'm sure they did, but uh, I don't remember. But, but yeah, that one's like James Bond will return. I guess that's did they like, do that as early as Doctor No. I don't know, but they they were doing it back around that time. I definitely and, remember it in uh, From Russia with Love. Yeah, the end of that. I don't know if they did it with Doctor No or not, but it's like it's like they were worried people were worried that he wouldn't. It's like, but now it's that's one of those things that. I guess back then it made a little more sense of like James Bond will return in on Her Majesty's Secret Service because I remember you only lived twice they had already known they were going to do on Her Majesty's Secret Service but of course Laser Brain came in and Connery dropped out and then Connery came back after that for Diamonds Are Forever but anyway anyway mate one anyway but but what I was going to say <laughs> is that now you can tell that's just like something that's part of the Bond Lexicon, tradition yeah. that it's like laughable now because it's like James Bond real return like. I know that it's a yeah. it's a franchise. Yeah. Please, you know, but you yeah, know. there's only like a handful of franchises that you can see just lasting for decades and decades and decades, and that's one of the handful you yeah. imagine right. to have. Now, um, again, I'm tr- a movie that d- really needs a franchise. Mate, one uh, from 1987. <laughs> We're gonna talk about a trio of movies today. This is by far the best of the bunch. Uh, yeah, not <laughs> even close to the other two. So yeah, like. Uh, now this, uh, I had bought this on a Criterion sale last year and this movie had always occupied this very hallowed legendary, um, stature about itself. I've not seen a whole, whole lot of, um, John sales work. I know he's, 
He's written a lot of movies and then also directed some, and he even writes novels as well. Um, I was actually even going back through his credits. I think he did a draft on E.T. even I didn't uh, know that. early on, I think. Okay. Uh, so he's been involved with a lot of fairly big productions uh, in ways that we know and probably a lot we don't even know yeah. about as kind of a script doctor. Um, but Lone Star was a movie we saw a few years ago, and I really deeply loved yeah. and admired and appreciated, and I'm really waiting for a great Blu-ray release of that to see that again. Um, that's just a really terrific movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one, you know, Chris Cooper's the lead in that, but that also involves a little bit of flashbacks and kind of the passage of time. Um, Chris Cooper also stars in Mate One, uh, with, uh, you know, really good cast overall. I mean, it's got David Strathairn, who's I know appeared in other John Sayles work, uh, a very young Will Oldham, uh, who we probably more associate with the um rock kelly rock kelly rockhart movie uh and it also even pops up a ghost story i think yeah like a scene um and yeah that scene in ghost stories interesting this is like oh my god yeah he kind of has to take the sacrifice fly to be a certain guy who says some very big arch things uh but it was almost shocking to see him as young and this as he was because i mean he he is like a teenager well and you you said this but i think it's probably one of the greatest young performances i've ever seen in anything. So, so I guess we should just sum up what yeah. Mate One is all about. It's basically about um, a coal town in West Virginia called Mate One. Uh, and I think this was based on true events mm-hmm. as well, uh, very specifically. Um, and about, obviously, the very rough, poor conditions. I should also it's in say, like 1920. As far as all the actors yeah. that are in it. He's not in it a whole, whole lot, but I thought he was pretty great. Oh, James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. There's uh, some black characters in the movie, too. But Mate One is ostensibly a white town. And a lot of them are are getting agitated at obviously the conditions of that they're being forced to work under, and they're bringing in basically you know they're saying we're, let's try to bring in a union to maybe unionize ourselves, and so Chris Cooper comes in as a guy who's had some experience organizing unions and is trying to iron things out and trying to get them all on the same side and same page. Meanwhile, the, a lot of the owners have started to bring in scab workers that are black and um, recent Italian, Italian immigrants. Yeah. And there's certainly a lot of angst culturally, racially amongst that. In many ways, very, very reminiscent of Lone Star, having mm-hmm. a lot of those same elements yeah. as well in a more uh, Western setting, obviously. Yeah, that involved um, more whites, uh, blacks, and Hispanics. Yeah, um, yeah Mexican yeah. immigrants. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's basically just about this big clash that's just inevitably waiting to happen. Um, and while the movie is set in the East, it has a lot of very Western-y vibes to it, specifically mm-hmm. the climax of the movie. Yeah. Um, what about Mate Wan for you works so well? Because well, it's unambiguously already, for both of us, I know, one of the best new films, when yeah. you say new, new to us, films we've seen this year in 2022. Mm-hmm. So what about it just really worked for you in a big way? Well, I think that part of it, you know, there's so many movies I've seen, and you always look, at least for myself, and I think for you too, for great southern movies or movies about the south now west virginia is north of us so you know and there's different parts of the south because clearly you know the something like world war art thou is about the mississippi kind of deep south more of that type of south there's even florida is the south that's Mm -hmm. its own thing georgia is its own kind of south and even the northern south is a little bit different too more of the appalachians which is more of what we are you know, I, well, not more of what we're more used to. So for me, I'm always just searching for, oh, a great movie about the South. You know? Right. 
And there aren't as many, obviously, as you would hope for. A lot of them, too, are these exploitation movies and stuff like that that are good, but they're not really serious, you no. know, particularly. I think this is probably... I don't know. It'd be like... I can't think of many other ones of this would maybe be one of the best movie about the South other than maybe Gone with the Wind, but that movie's complicated enough with what it's about. And I, well, it should know, also but, be said, even... Yeah. <laughs> you can't set the complication of Gone with the Wind to the side, right. but even put that very briefly off to the side for a very brief moment. That is very specifically about the Southern aristocracy, yeah, right. even, that it's not yeah. about kind of and typical yeah, working not, class yeah, people. So this know. is very much about actual people who live in the south yeah and i just totally i mean he's i mean he's more known as a screenwriter john sales uh even than as a filmmaker and uh, as a director i should say uh and i mean this script is pretty much bulletproof there are a couple things about it that i'll get to in a minute i found that i was kind of like eh, that's a little bit whatever but but as far as just the dialogue and the, there's this real great scene between chris cooper and um uh is it mary mcdowell is that yeah. her name in the movie yeah. like the main female lead in the movie who um, runs a boarding house yeah that she lives there with her son who will Oldham plays and then uh chris cooper comes to stay there for a while but also some uh basically pinkertons but i don't know if they're exactly they were pinkertons. the bald they were the bald ones that actually is uh, a real detective agency okay, another right. one yeah but it's basically strike breakers if, right if yeah. you know much about strikes and stuff like that in that time period it was mostly the pinkertons that were talked about that were hired to go do all these strike breaking and and harass people and stuff mm -hmm. but there's this one great scene of them sitting on the porch and earlier in the well earlier on before the movie had happened a couple years before there had been a big mining explosion where a lot a couple men from the town died um End. and one of uh, one of them was her husband and Will Oldham's father. Yeah. Um and you know there's just this great scene that I think exemplifies a lot and I don't want to like say this about the south cuz a lot of people have these ideas about the south that's kind of a cliche about life is hard and we're going to get through it and oh you know and that whole thing but that's one of the better scenes of that of southern grief and um you know, dealing with that, I think was a really good... And I think that's part of what works about the movie so much is that there are so many movies about the redneck and the and the hill, the hillbilly and, like, oh, how they don't want to get with the program and they're this kind of, like, uh, you know, almost mythologized in a certain way type of person. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as um, that goes, you know... I think that this is by far one of the better movies of that, that it actually feels real and the people feel real in ways that other movies don't, especially Chris Cooper's character who there's another great scene where he's there. There's this whole scene and I'll get to this is one of the dumber parts of the movie to me, the whole sequence where James Earl Jones might have had to kill him or whatever. Yeah. And like that he's talking about being in a prison uh, somewhere in the West and watching these Mennonites who didn't want to get their uh, hair shaved, their beard shaved, because uh, it was against their religious beliefs, and how they basically 
tortured them more or less and they still wouldn't give in give in yeah and just scenes like that that are just so real and realistic and dialogue that's so like i said just so on point from sales that like (laughs) another random thing in the movie that was funny to me was that part where uh they were talking about how will oldham's character is a preacher he's like 15 and the two uh strike breaker guys in the movie who were so evil like yeah almost comically so like like, yeah yeah. and there's the scene where they're like talking about i've never been very religious Mm -hmm. uh and they're saying uh, all i got to was in the beginning was the word and it's like well that's in like the book of john but the movie's clearly making fun of them like they don't even know that they're being even that stupid you know and speaking Um, of uh religion you know, there's a there's a scene of John Sales cameoing in the movie as a pastor, um, yeah. and he's got kind of this thick accent in the midst of it. And Will Oldham's character, who's again ostensibly you know a teenager, you know, or even a little younger than that, um, he uh, is getting up and is you know I wouldn't say you know perverting the word of God. I would say very much preaching it, but to the eyes of a lot of these people, like oh, this whole idea. Um, that uh that he's he, you know he's actually genuinely reading the word of god and is like seeing a pro union idea behind it which i would agree with yeah um and that is seen as almost a blaspheme by sales character and by a great many of these other people um and and that you know that's so much of what the movie is about is even these guys who are even giving in to the whole idea of, you know what, my hard work isn't enough that I need a union behind me, and they're still being prejudiced in the midst of all this by something that's a fairly progressive idea of that time, but they're still, they can't progress to the point of seeing their black and um, Italian immigrant neighbors as equal to themselves. And part of the evolution of them over the movie is this community is the whole idea, you know what, we might be different. We might have different ideas, but we all have. We both have this same central problem that we need to get over and help each other through. Um, and in that way, it's almost a very utopian vision of what yeah. unions can be. And I know this this movie in particular has a very legendary status within the culture of unions and unions on film and whatnot. So um, again, we saw the Criterion Blu-ray. The movie looked amazing as well. Um, I know it was shot by Haskell Wexler who's one of the best cinematographers ever anyways. Yeah. Um, and didn't you say also that this was Chris Cooper's first I think film performance, so. I think? And it wasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, it, he had uh, acted some before that on stage, I think. I mean, yeah. Certain things. But, and also, it wasn't Will Oldham's technically his first role in a movie. Yeah. It was his, like, second. But, I mean, that's kind of like a debut performance, too. So, I think those are two of the best debut performances in any movie and they're in the same movie i mean you know and to go quickly to the thing i didn't like about the movie i kind of talked about it earlier there's a whole little subplot in the movie about one of the characters in the town is actually pro company and is going against the people and the idea of the union um and that he comes up with this whole like scam of like making this one woman who's in love with Chris Cooper's character 
feel like he's making fun of her so that she will then tell a lie that he raped her. Right. So that then the other guys in the town will want to kill him and get rid of him. Mm -hmm. And it's this very convoluted... It feels like something another regular movie would do. You know what I mean? It feels like it's like, oh, this is kind of falling prey to like... Do you think that whole other, little subplot could have been excised or cut I out? I think so. I guess they needed but, some conflict to doubt Chris Cooper. That was what it was yeah. trying to do as the community to be like, huh, maybe this yeah. guy but the, doesn't have the best interest at heart. But the fact that, and I'm going to spoil the movie here a little bit, so those who don't want to know, just skip ahead somewhere, I don't know. That I feel like it's enough at the end of the movie that he doesn't, that he gets killed. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's enough of a version of that, that you didn't need to have that other thing happen. Yeah. And the movie's not long. I mean, it's two hours, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. But if you cut that out of the movie, it's like an even shorter and better movie, in my mind, if you just get that stuff out. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I felt like that was a very powerful decision at the end because, because the whole point of the movie, I think, is to say, you know, there's this immediate victory by the, um the town of Mate One to mm-hmm. kill they killed like pretty much all of the strike breaker people. I think there's one or two that got away and they only a few of them were killed. Right. The mayor, Cooper, and then like one or two other yeah. people got shot. But overall it was a massive success for them, mm-hmm. you know. But part of the whole point is when that's about to happen, because Stratheron is kind of the one who starts the whole thing. When that's about to happen, Cooper's running up to tell him to stop, you know, to plead with him to stop doing it, and he gets caught in the crossfire and dies. And then, of course, as you know, if you know much about all that stuff later, it's that these continued conflicts happen, and the unions didn't come for a while, and it actually made unions look bad in the American perception for a little while that that had happened. So it was actually a long-term kind of failure. But... And that's what I think is so interesting about the movie is that it, and even it does this visually at the very end where it's like, yeah, well, Will Oldham is still in the mines at the end of the movie, still working, like, you know, and it's kind of like, well, what really Well, in general, too, historically, unions over the course of the 20s started to lose a lot of power because they were really heavily validated in the 1900s and 1910s, but specifically after World War One ended and the Great War ended. There was all this fear that, and this was this fear had existed even before this, but it got even louder. The whole idea that unions were an agent of Bolshevism or mm-hmm. an agent of communism, which at that point was sweeping Russia. As up. John Sayles had um, screamed, Bolshevism, socialism, yeah. communism. I mean, it's literally like the most like white Southern preacher man, Southern man. I mean, and so the twenties really like, started yeah. to see a decline in unions, and they had various times they went up and down. Yeah. I mean, they were. Once again, validate a little bit more in the 30s, um, in the midst of the Depression. Um, but the 20s was a very conformist time, and is one of those things, if you stuck out a little bit or were weird, quote, in quotes, uh, then you were kind of shunned for the most part in the 20s, which was interesting because the, the 80s was a very conformist time, too, when the movie was made. And it's frankly a miracle the movie like that got made then because, of course, that was the age of Reagan, the age of a lot of anti-union sentiment Mm -hmm. um, of that whole era. And so in its own way, I mean, it's a very specific story tied to the 20s, but in a lot of other ways, it's a very universal idea about the struggles of unionism and all the forces that unionism have to go up against 
even in these very small clustered rural um, yeah. environments like Mate One. Uh, but it's a, you know, I would agree that um, maybe that section could have been retooled a little bit, but I do like the impulse that we need at that point in the movie, not as an audience, but the characters themselves to be a little bit more doubtful about yeah, Cooper's sure. intentions. Yeah. And that scene you were talking about earlier about him and James Earl Jones, I thought that was such a great scene. And that was even before technically James Earl Jones had been told, oh, actually he's not. You know, because later yeah, on it's because, revealed right that, you in know, the same scene. Well, that I felt like gave a power to that scene was the feeling of that he's about to kill this man. Yeah, and, and that he and that, and that what I really loved you know, about that was is that he was purely convinced by him telling that story that no, this man is not right. a bad man. He's who he says he is. Before he, that was even officially confirmed to him, he had come to that conclusion. You can tell on his own. But and then there's that kind of cross cut with the scene of Will Oldham giving this sermon where he's basically in a roundabout way communicating to the men, union men there, that they know this through the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, which I literally just read in the Bible that day after that, funny enough. Yeah. and I'd read that before. And those two, but, yeah. uh, those two stripe breakers are in the back and are drunk and are just. They don't even know what he's talking about. Right. That he's totally basically because they're so stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um. And thankfully, they didn't live through the movie. They got pretty good little deaths. Yeah. So. Yeah. One thing I don't know. Maybe I. Maybe this is the bad, the wrong impulse. But I, I do think they could have been a little bit more sympathetic. They were yeah. almost cartoonishly over the top evil, which I think in general most of those guys probably were. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Say that, right. but yeah. uh, but. A little bit more effort towards trying to understand who they were, a little bit. Yeah, uh, because I mean, because every other person part part of that agency that was in the movie, yeah, seemed. I mean, they weren't good people, but they were like, well, this is what we're gonna do. Yeah, and, you get more of them at know, the end, and there's yeah. a few of them kind of just questioning what are we doing and blah blah. Not like yeah. in a way of what are we doing, but yeah. like, so what are we here to do, blah blah. Like. And even that added a little bit more humanity to some yeah, of them right. than the two main guys yeah, did. Yeah. Uh, but the movie overall, I thought, was just so fantastic and well done and a great work of historical oh, yeah. uh, filmmaking yeah. that uh, the, most of those problems for me were fairly minor. No, yeah, but, and like I felt like I guess it was sort of justified with uh, the Kevin Teague uh, performance. I think that's that actor's name. He's in uh, Roadhouse and... Oh, uh, he, he just, was deliciously. Uh, uh, oh, I mean, well, that I mean, he, he is so randomly good. one of the best support like character actors around that. I, everything I've ever seen him yeah. in, he's not really good. But anyway, he he's telling Will Oldham when they find him in the closet listening in on some information. He tells this whole story about you know how I got this medal from World War One was I stabbed a bunch of Germans with a bayonet and they just kept coming and coming and coming and like. I feel like that story kind of puts into perspective why he is so insane and so evil yeah. is because of World War One and like also the fact I've been reading James Dickey's To the White Sea and that is just I mean that's one of my favorite books I've ever read I'm not all the way done with it but uh, that just the insanity that war makes out of somebody I feel like that kind of justifies him a little bit more to be that crazy the other guy I don't really know but. Yeah. But yeah, that that was a yeah I can see that where they were a little bit too far, but right. But you know. yeah, I mean, like we said, I think those are overall minor quibbles. What for is an otherwise pretty great movie. Speaking of great movies, not 
the next two we're going to talk about. Phantom of the Megaplex Strikes Again. Actually, it's Phantom of the Megaplex from yeah. 2000. Now, see, what if they would have made a sequel and it would have been the Phantom of the Megaplex Strikes Again, exclamation point. Well, I felt like at the very end, they were like, sequel? Hmm? A werewolf of the Megaplex. Yeah. That's a different story. Like, Well, know, one we're never going to it, get. It's different in the fact that it doesn't exist, sure. But yeah, other than that, go, yeah. Yeah, go with it. Um, so this was actually a Disney Channel original movie. Um, we watched it quite a bit back in the day. I had a recording of it on VHS, uh, recorded from TV. We watched it off Disney Plus. One of the you know really cool things to me about Disney Plus, and we have it, and we don't use it all that often because frankly we're going to be watching Criterion Channel or things off Amazon or HBO Max or whatnot. Um, but one of the cool things about Tube. Disney Plus to me is the whole idea that. They have so many of these old Disney Channel original movies, which are catnip for us as kids, yeah. uh, that just get thrown on there, and it's a chance to relive or revisit some of those. Uh, that was one of my favorites. Um, I remember as a kid, specifically because it took place in a movie theater, yeah. which was my favorite place as a kid. Not all that different as an adult, uh, even though the you know uh, no, quality uh, shrunk over the uh, years. But multiple ways. Phantom uh, of the Megaplex from two thousand. What was it like to re? Uh, take a trip down memory lane with this one for you, Levi. Well, not good, by the way. No, not I guess we can. One. I guess we can admit that we had planned actually on doing this. movie. Yeah, this was actually going to be a movie we were going to do on the pod back um, around Halloween. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and we didn't. Uh, something happened where we did a different movie. I can't, or we skipped a week. I don't or remember something. When, yeah. Anyway, and we were like, no, I won't do it. So we've been kind of wanting to rewatch it. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a really bad movie, but, you know, they put a lot of work into building the theater as a wor- as an experience, yeah. as a world, you know. And, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm really not trying to stretch here to make this comparison. We recently watched, obviously, Airport, yeah. and it did make me go, oh, wow, like, what if we put that same time and attention into a good little hyperlink movie set in a movie theater? I think that would yeah. be a cool idea. Uh, because this theater has nearly 30 screens, I know. Um, yeah. So it's like a pretty yeah. big space. For like what seems to be a on. relatively smaller town, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't so know. So the plot but, of this movie is essentially that it's the you know the uh, the opening night for some big movie that's basically... Midnight Mayhem. Midnight Mayhem. Like, um, okay. It's coming out, and... It explains this kind of quickly in the beginning. I can't quite remember the details. That like the guy who really owns the theater, some guy named Needlemeyer or Niedermeyer or Niedermeyer, something. Niedermeyer, I think. Um, who also owns the theater, helped finance and produce the movie, and he's having his world premiere here at this theater. Um, and so the boss of the theater is like real high strung guy. So this has to be perfect. This has to be. And great. his name is Sean McGibbon. I do McGibbon. remember. McGibbon. McGibbon. <laughs> he's, uh, Not McGillicuddy or whatever yeah. they call him. Um, but the main characters of the movie are essentially, um, it's like, what, supposed to be 17 years old, I think. I think it says it several I guess, times. yeah. Uh, basically, assistant manager at the movie theater. Um, and then his two younger siblings who are kind of, ooh, they're, you know, they're younger, they're lame, they're a thorn in his side. But over the course of the movie, he comes to realize their value and that they work well together. Uh, is the whole dumb idea, and then that he oh his girl for this girl he wants to be his girlfriend is coming, and he's trying to juggle helping his boss get the movie together, making sure his younger siblings, his brother and sister, are taken care of, trying to like score some points with his would be lover, but the Phantom of the Megaplex strikes 
uh, and really wreaks so, havoc upon so, this theater. So I can't believe we're going this far in depth well, explaining this. But so what had happened was there used to be an older movie theater that sat on that spot, and yeah. it was like a an, a movie palace of old, mm-hmm. bright lights, big, big cities, pretty ladies. Um, as Rick Flair once said. Yeah, but like the whole old oh, old Hollywood. I want to talk about that here in a few minutes. Actually, yeah. about well, the there's a very about, big icon of yes, that Mickey is Rooney yeah. is the lone family member of that family who originally put that theater there so, that yeah. is alive, and he hangs her, and they like tore it down and put up this new theater. They they uh, paved paradise and put up a parking lot, yeah. you know. And so, he wants that theater to, would have been like a one or two screen. Yeah, yeah, and he wants to work there. Yeah, but, he's literally giving them free labor. He's and, like saying, "Oh no, I won't even get paid. Just yeah, let me keep and, working and here." And McGibbon is like, uh, <laughs> "McGibbon." Yeah, he's like, uh, "Now scram!" And like, uh, "We're all call the police. Save it for somebody who cares. Yeah. Go, yeah. like you know, just so elder abuse. Yeah, yeah, um, an ageist if there ever was one. Yeah, but that there's a whole so." There's this whole myth about, oh, there was a guy who got killed in the demolition of the old theater. And anytime it, something bad is happens... Is he the phantom... Of the Megaplex. Of the Megaplex yeah. strikes once more. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that's, that's an impression of somebody we know by Yeah, way, I won't say who it is, say, but... Uh, uh, and so, like, it's the whole yeah. question is, ooh, who's the phantom? And for a while, it makes us think, ooh, Mickey Rooney's the phantom. But yeah. then you, if you think about that more for two seconds... This guy has trouble, you can tell, putting on his clothes on given, <laughs> yeah. any given day. You think he's going to get in and out of like, some <laughs> yeah. big phantom suit? Um, and the mask. and Yeah, yeah. and then it's like, oh, maybe it's the projectionist, Merle, uh, who looks like Josh Peck all grown yeah. up, basically. Um, and then by the end, oh, of course, it's Sean McGibbon. And, um, because the reason he did all this is because he was in line to be a super, super general manager of something, but... Nita Meyer says, oh, I'm giving the job to another guy. Right. And then he's like, well, I must ruin the premiere and yeah. make him look bad. And it's like, well, you're definitely going to be fired. Well, so, not like, only fired, you're going to likely have criminal charges pressed against you. With the movie kind of goes, oh, well, whatever. Well, and then at that. the end, the director of the movie is like, hey, I want you to come to Hollywood. We'll make a movie out of you. And it's like, why would that, how is there a story here? Like, well, I don't, yeah. I, 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 I guess that's the... What the whole movie was about. There well, was a like, story, I guess. I, guess. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes enough sense for a children's... Made-for-TV s- movie. ...spook show, but, yeah. like, movie, you know? But it's like... It didn't but, it didn't genuinely terrify me, but as a kid, there were some moments I was like, ooh, kind of scared, like, yeah. you know. And I remembered that, watching it, that I felt that way about it, too. I remember it was like, wow, yeah. that's dumb. But, uh... What did we think of the actual... Because in the movie, they had fake movies that were being shown that were... Re- the mount-ups they showed you were randomly compelling, and you're like, wait, what is that? I want to well, stop and see more that. more than anything, it's Farmer Brown. I want to so, see that so movie. So Farmer Brown is the movie that the uh, the younger brother most yeah. wants to see. So, and then okay. the sister wants to get him sat... So and make they sure can go she watch can University go see, of Death. And her yeah. mom doesn't want her to go right. see that, so there's this whole thing, oh, you have to... Tells her younger brother, you have to promise me that you're not going to tell. And he's like, all right, I'm fine. I won't tell. Because they make a deal, yeah. too, that he'll give her some money for concessions or whatever it is. Okay. Um, like 10 bucks, I think. Um, so she's wanting to go see University of Death. And then so we see these clips from some of these movies. Farmer Brown's the one we see yeah, the most Yeah, and it's of. like, 
It's like, okay, so the way it's shot, first of all, let me say... It looks I, better than... I love... It yeah, like, looks better no, than the movie No, it looks like itself. a film. Right. right. No, I mean, it seriously looks like a movie from, like, the 70s or 80s that looks like... I mean, not, like, fit, but the way it's framed and yeah. blocked, it's like, looks like a new Hollywood movie or something. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, yeah. I want to see that movie. I go to see yeah. them movies, yeah. you know? like, But, yeah, no, like you said, it looks better even visually yeah. than the movie that we're watching, which is impossible because you're seeing, but it, it like, and yeah, so then we see glimpses of Genevieve, <laughs> which is supposed to be the like Oscar movie. Yeah. Because like Mickey Rooney's like, glimpses of Genevieve has been, has been adapted, or has been nominated for more, uh, awards, awards than any of the films last year or whatever. And that yeah. guy's like, no, give a crap. Euro trash. And basically. Well, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, that's a whole moment in yeah. the movie is that, that things get so desperate that the boss is like, all right, we've got to get more people in here. Sure. Let's just give movie Mason a job to literally to just rip the take. Yeah. yeah. And the movie treats him as an annoyance, but frankly, I think we need more of this. Like we need more people that are gatekeepers, frankly, to say, no, nah, what you're wanting to go see is trash. You need to go see something else. Yeah. Like, and the movie treats this as like a joke or whatever. But I was kind of like, yeah, we need more of that going on. You yeah. know, like, and uh, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to jump though, real quickly and talk about the idea of Hollywood, the glamour. Yeah. The, so this is a, now, a lot of people might be surprised to hear me say this about, since we love movies so much, but I've always been so annoyed by the whole, the big night. The stars, the music, na, 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 <laughs> is the most annoying thing ever. Because, like, okay, so... Especially in the Disney Channel original movie. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like, you like, don't even know what a movie is. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like... Like, it's like the big premiere and all the... And it's like, it whittles it all down into thinking of this one certain type of movie that exists that doesn't even exist, but is a movie that appeals to all... And there's the big stars, and everybody wants to see them uh, primmed like peacocks, and yeah. you know this whole this this crap. Like, and it's like, excuse me, I don't think Apocalypse Now is that type of movie. I don't think that. Yeah, uh, they're really. You know what I mean? This, like, like a nostalgic echo to something like. I think in an ideal world, the type of movie they're thinking or talking about is like, say, The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, right. And, ter- right. and that movie wasn't even super successful no, when it yeah. came out. But like this, like, um, and he even like. Or, like, Gone with the Wind. He even, or, yeah, like, makes know. some vague references. I don't know if he says that her name out loud, Judy Garland's, but there is a moment where he's talking about, I don't remember what he says, but he was like, Ruby, well, clearly, Ruby Red Slippers or, yeah. like, something along the well, lines of, like... they work together yeah, so much. And, but I reference. was making me yeah, think of that. Right. That was a direct collaborator of his. Um, in general, what do we think of just the presence of Mickey Rooney in this movie as this role. I mean, I'm sure it was one... Of, I mean, it was, for me, the very first time I ever saw or knew who Mickey Rooney was. Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, oh, the, this old guy, and then I remember being told... I don't know if it was on TV or somewhere, or mom or dad told me, it's like, oh, that's like Mickey Rooney. He's this star from yesteryear. Pulp. And you know, like, that movie Pulp he was in? I, well, yeah. I was thinking about that a little bit. <laughs> so while is this that, better or worse than Pulp? The worse, better, I mean. uh, <laughs> and frankly, he was the best thing about that movie, yeah, and we right. needed more of him in yeah. that. Yes, um, it's like, why are you here? There is like, a certain sadness to me of like, you know, these are the later parts of a guy who there was a time where he was one of the biggest stars in the 30s and 40s. Um, but the movie does treat him with this really outsized reverence. I think yeah, too. No, I mean, does, it's like yeah. very like yeah. reverential towards this man and. 
all that he's been in that. And it's just one of those things like I I can't think of offhand any other Disney Channel original movie that maybe has the has an appearance or a role for someone that was ever quote this big. Now he hadn't been big in a long, long, long time. Yeah. But I can't think of another one that's like you know what I mean. It'd be like if like about 10, 15 years from now, like George Clooney popped up in a Disney Channel original movie in terms of like yeah. that kind of stardom at that time. But um, you know, it was just uh, it was just fascinating to see him pop up again in this. And I've seen well, obviously ever since the last time I saw this, I don't even know what it, when it would have been. Yeah. But I certainly know who Mickey Rooney is and seen way more Mickey Rooney movies, and so. Seeing him here as this old man, I was like, "Oh, that's where I was first introduced to this guy from." And again, the movie treats him with a certain reverence. Yeah. And I, I just want to go back to what we were talking about a minute ago, though. He has that whole monologue where he's like, "Was asked, are you the Phantom?" And he's like, "When Thomas Edison created the m- motion picture camera, that's what it feels like." Where it's like this long-winded, like the movies, the good guys, the bad guys, yeah. the romance, the like. I don't know. I want to go. I want to explore this a little more, though, like because I said, as people who love movies, some people be surprised to hear me say this, but I'm just like the whole way that I don't even think of movies in such even juvenile terms. Frankly, Mm -hmm. like if someone asked me why I love movies, that would not be a question I would be ready to answer. Particularly, I would just be like, "What do you mean? Why do you not feel that way?" Like you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it's like. Movies are so much more complex than the way that well, even people... the uh, golden era that he's in many ways making nostalgic, and you know, yeah. he knows better than anybody in this or we even do how complex it really was. And talking about Judy Garland, I mean, female stars of that time, how mistreated they were, how drug abuse was obviously yeah, uh, something yeah. that was encouraged. Um, all the violent things that happen behind the scenes of films. Yeah, and like specifically and, with know. some of the imagery in his little like boudoir or whatever. Yeah, right. Like that it's like the Phantom of the Opera poster. And like the way Which, that he Another was, thing is too, let me just say briefly, yeah. that the very beginning of this movie has some scenes from Phantom right. of the Opera in it. That would have also been the very first time I yeah, was aware right. or, or have seen that. But like, know. and some of that imagery and the way he described movies, the, just the way the posters look, literally... The some of the first the first movie I thought of about a lot of things he was saying was the birth of a nation like yeah. you know what I mean I didn't and think it's of like, that but yeah and it's like I can't explain why that is other than just the fact that I haven't even seen that whole movie well the whole medium like, of film is still trying to I feel like recover from well, right. something like and that and it's like just to me when I see those things I see something differently and mm-hmm. I you know and so but also that doesn't mean that I don't love movies you know what I mean like I, I love movies far more than any of these other people would, but just to see him be like, oh, Tyrone Power. Talk about Tyrone Power in a song like, I'm sorry, I don't think teenagers in the in 2000 are going to know who Tyrone Power is, okay? Right, right. Like, you know, and I don't it's know. It's only in it, more recent years I really even yeah, know and appreciate it's like, and even their parents won't know who that is. Well, yeah, let's like, talk about parents, okay? Um, because there's a whole subplot of this movie that the mom is like this single working class mom. Yeah. Uh, and she just wants what's best for her kids. And there's like more than enough scenes dedicated to her and her boyfriend. Yeah. It seems like a really He's actually an English teacher. Really yeah. actually nice enough, yeah. caring yeah, uh, supportive guy. I mean, he's an English teacher. Well, there's like a whole little subplot of oh, like the cars uh, broke down. They're going to go eat. Yeah. And the place is actually closed, and then their car breaks down. Yeah. And then they're like trying to figure out how they're going to get to pick up the 
kids and Who whatever. Are meanwhile, in the boudoir, like, yeah. <laughs> and that she calls like um, the uh, theater, yeah. and a random guy who earlier had been like, what do you want, a medal uh, for uh, the main guy first coming in and saying, I'm the assistant theater manager that was in the, for... I think that was in Cut to Black, Kyle. Oh, that Cut, was the Cut to Black was the in. movie <laughs> that was literally yeah, like messing right. up. Yeah. Um, he's like, what do you want, a medal? <laughs> yeah. And everybody laughs. And then so he randomly comes up what to do a phone want? that had been... What do you want, a Xbox Live <laughs> achievement? Like, you know. <laughs> he randomly comes up, picks up the phone that had been briefly put down while one of the other... Uh, one of the people who works there is going to go try to find um, the main guy, and he just picks up the phone and goes, or, "No, no, the phone rings. No, the phone rings. No, somebody yeah. hangs it up, and then yeah, she that calls girl again. Hung it up. Yeah, oh, yeah, she yeah. calls again, and he randomly walks up and picks it up and says, "City morgue." And there's a sound cue that goes, <sighs> "Yeah, like it's like, like it's trying to be like Friday the Thirteenth or something." And like, she's yeah. like. Yeah, makes this big face. And it's like, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> city morgue. Like, it's just and it's just so like calm yeah. down. Yeah. Like, what do we think of the whole stuff with the mom and the boyfriend who who becomes her fiance when he yeah. proposes? There, I thought at that the was Megaplex. a little bit much. I mean, the whole movie's so too anyway. But it's like I, now yeah. I've always though thought about that scene where he says. Uh, I'm, you know, you were quoting. Mm. I'm an English teacher, yeah. but a guy's got to open it, uh, yeah. open up the hood and act like he knows what's that, going on. Well, I've been macho long enough to call the auto club. Yes, like, yeah. No, I mean, I've always uh, randomly thought about that line. I mean, like, it sounds obvious to say, but there's some of the better scenes in it, just mm-hmm. because it's two adults. I mean, you know, right. uh, but we're putting way too much effort yeah. in talking about this movie. And and let me say, like. It sounds like I'm really wanting to talk about, but like, let's reckon with what Hollywood really means, you know. But like, we're gonna do that more like, than I think well, maybe the I next even, one. Yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> and the movie of the day right. actually too. But like, you ever think about though? Did you ever heard David Lynch talk about? Is in a video somewhere where he was talking about the magic of Hollywood, like live him living in Hollywood itself. You yeah, hear that? He's like, which, it's a magical place. Which uh, and like, like Mulholland Drive, right? A big yeah, reflection. And it's of, just like, but we know of, how that movie a ends lot of th- too, right? And that's yeah. what I'm saying is like, and I think even he knows this. Yeah. And but even the way that people talk about the area of Hollywood itself, yeah, there's this whole mystique around Reverence, that yeah. that that I find so strange. I guess we'll leave it at this. Like Juan Carlos Case, one of our professors. Didn't at, think we were going at, here. But yeah, yeah, but uh, you know Greg the guy, story Greg, I'm going to tell uh, offhand, about no. Shirley Temple? Oh, well, yeah, he so, yeah. so he was in, okay, so one of the great things about being at UNCW was is that he and Dr. Todd Berliner, who you had, oh, I didn't so have great. Him, I had both of them. They would get into these, like, debates mm-hmm. and people now, this would come was, and this watch go, them, like, This went on after I was there, yeah, but right. while you were there, and I think they did some video recordings of them. Yeah, and, and I and, went to one and then I watched the other one, but the one I went to, they were talking about uh, cult films and Hollywood films, yeah. and Berliner was arguing more for. But there had been movies made like Mulholland Drive and Nashville, and he named all these movies that are like they're studio movies, but they're but they're great or art, whatever. Great art. But the case was going in the other, and they would both be more in the middle on this somewhere. But they had to argue their points. Yeah. Case was like, no, the only good movies that ever been made are independent movies. Blah blah blah, and he his closing gambit was talking about like how awful Hollywood is. He told a story about how when Shirley Temple was younger that she had been basically flashed by this male producer, you know? Yeah. And so I guess that's where I can leave it there is that Hollywood is incredibly evil, 
conniving, disgusting place. And that's why we love where, it. And that's why we love it. No. But you know what I mean? It's like, and and it's a miracle that anything comes right. out of it that is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Because it's all a business and it's all a lie anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that, you know, people talk about movies are lies. And I don't believe that because I think that movies... But I also do believe, and we've talked about this before, but I also do believe that movies are inherently, they began as a business interest. For some people who created it, it was like, okay, well, let's see what we can, let's see what we're going to do with it, you know? But it very quickly became a business, and it became something, and it's still that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting, too. uh, So, in that way, do, is it possible, and do you think that it's possible for a movie like Phantom of the Megaplex to even have an inkling or a clue of how to talk about movies coming from Disney. No, no, yeah. You know what I mean? Is no, I, I it's think. like, I, I know that I went way too far into this, but this is something I've been thinking about. It was interesting to me, though, that but, like, the main guy, yeah. the 17-year-old, yeah. is not a cinephile. No. He's very clearly he like, this is just be purely... to be a job. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yeah, right. that's understandable, make money as a teenager. Uh, but then his younger... Brother sister, sister, but especially the younger brother is what I mean, more, Farmer Brown head. I mean, he's like, yeah. I gotta see Farmer Brown. I mean, I want to see it. So, and then I there's will. even a moment where she comes back and doesn't find her brother, and there's like this whole what do they call them, cinna nannies or like cinna sitters or something, or like cinema sitters. Yeah, that come around and who's like bugging her, and it's like old, you know, dotty woman basically, and. She like sits down and is so frustrated and watching the screen and then in the movie he's like coming back up the yeah, farmer brown to the truck he had told his wife I guess to yeah. stay in the truck and he comes back and is playing some kind of like kind of music yeah. and he walks up and he's like why why I begged you to stay put yeah, and, and, that, and she's like, sitting there watching yeah. the movie just <laughs> yeah. like you know, no because earlier brother. in that too when she was telling him to stay there there was the scene where it was like all right stay right here in the movie he's like sorry uh, I can see you anytime. Right now, I'm here to see a movie. Yeah, he's right? like, I'm at the movies, so, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, but I know we've talked way too long about this. <laughs> but like, I don't know. This is what does this I've... do for you in the future about watching more of these Disney Channel original movies? Oh, I've got to. Yeah. <laughs> well, any, because... any others in particular that you're interested to go back and rewatch? Well, I want to see. Uh, Mom had a date with a. Vampire well, I, I think the ones I really remember like, the ones uh, they showed around Halloween right. and they were a little more quote. And I say this in big quotes, yeah. horror-ish. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's a movie that kind of sort of scared me a little bit, but obviously now um, means nothing. What's that I mean, movie that had that kid in it? It was uh, that kid that was in Jerry Maguire's. That uh, oh, that movie, was uh, like My Little Vampire. That was a totally other. That was like that was, a, that was like a Hollywood movie. Though, yeah, it was like, released by right. Least that's what I thought. I thought I it came out. Yeah. You know? And then there was Little Monsters with Ralph Macchio and. Uh, no, no, no! It wasn't Ralph Macho. It was, it was Savage uh, guy, the Fred Savage and uh, Howie Mandel. Mandel. Yeah. yeah, so I get all these mixed up. That is still yeah. one of the most disturbing uh, posters. Yeah, That's or just like monster creation That's images. So like weird. I remember as a kid, that freaked me out. That's weird. That poster, that one, "Don't Look Under the Bed," I know is on Disney Plus. That freaked me out. I remember. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Um. So, what are we? What are we talking about? Phantom of the Megaplex strikes <laughs> again. Um. But so we will be watching, and you'll probably talk about here and there. Oh, we watched another one. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah. Like, um. But another movie that we had never seen and had been widely anticipating for a long, long time. 
Levi's really trying to get in the mental space right now. You should see him. He's like rubbing his head, just yeah. really going through it. The Crew, also from 2000. This is like a mob, quote, comedy uh, starring... Goodfellas meets grumpy old men. Yeah, that's I mean, the that's what's yeah. on the poster, and you can tell that's the pitch for the movie in many ways. Uh, a good cast, should be said, Richard Dreyfuss, uh, Burt Reynolds... Dan Hedaya and Seymour Cassell, the four main guys. And, and they're basically... Miguel Sandoval is the villain. Carrie Ann Moss. Is a cop. And then Jeremy Piven, who's awful, but, you know... It's just there. Yeah. Um, So the four guys, they're like these old retired mobsters in Miami, hijinks ensue. That's basically all you need to say. Other than Richard Dreyfuss, oh, he lost his daughter many years ago, doesn't know where she is. Guess who it is? Carrie Ann Moss. Doesn't look one thing like each other, but whatever, we'll get over that. Um... And then, so, like, they basically wrap up and involve themselves into this whole hijinks that involves basically so, what, accidentally burning down, um, well... Okay, before, so here's where yeah, it starts. You go ahead. So, they live in this hotel yeah. that's basically a retirement home hotel. Well, they're but, trying to get all the old people and, out. Right, and, and they're wanting to get people. all the old people out and move some younger people in. They're about to be kicked out of their lease because the money, the... Rent's going the up. rent's going up. So what they decide to do, and by the way, every time they need to have an idea in the movie, they basically halfway kill Burt Reynolds. And then yeah. when he wakes up, he's like, I've got an idea. Yeah. Like, he gets these <laughs> premonitions while he's unconscious somehow. Yeah. And he comes up with the idea because Dan Hedai's character works at a morgue. So they're like, okay, well, let's take a body yeah. from the morgue and, and shoot the body with a shotgun yeah, and leave it in the hotel. That way, that people will be like, "Oh, there was a mob hit here," mm-hmm. and then that will then make the price of the rent go down because nobody will want right. to come there theoretically. Mm-hmm. So that's their original plan, and they get this dead body, <laughs> and he's the dad of a like re- a very reputed drug lord, right. a Hispanic drug lord, yeah. played by Miguel Sandoval. Yeah, and so. <laughs> My favorite part of the movie was the sequence where it explained how the dad got out of the retirement home in Miami. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he, like, it's like a whole little vignette. <laughs> and like he went to go eat, which and the then, food looked disgusting. Yeah, right? and like then he like has a heart attack on the beach, but he's butt naked and <laughs> falls down and dies. And like so anyway, so basically they think oh that. Miguel Sandoval thinks it was a purposeful hit against his father and that he didn't actually just die yeah. on his own or whatever. Well, I mean, he was and, found... Well, okay, so he died previously. Then he goes to the morgue, and Dan Hedaya works in the morgue and does makeup, this bizarre makeup. Like, he on, look, makes people look like the Joker or something. Like, Yeah. And, and, and then... Yeah. So then they're like, all right, well, let's just take this random guy's body, shoot it in the head, like, and make it look like, oh, it was like a hit... And then that'll and anybody who was really looking over this body would realize that he was already dead. And then there like just happened few, to be well, an for incidental like at least two days. And then there was point. this incidental shotgun blast to his head. But whatever, we'll go with it. And then news gets back to Sandoval, and he thinks, of course, that this is a mob hit, like you know, kind of thing, and that he's going to have to go back and figure out who did it and whatnot. And then meanwhile, they're trying to lay low and. And, like, meanwhile, Seymour Cassell doesn't even talk. Which is like, a sin. I mean, he's, yeah. he was such a great actor. And if you're familiar with him at all, 
Well, you think about more like, than likely yeah. a lot of it is tied to a lot of his Cassavetti's right. work. And you um, think about him in Faces, he will not shut up. Yeah, in that movie, and I mean, he's like one of the best things about the right movie. Right around too, that like. time, he would have just been in Rushmore, yeah. and then would have been had a smaller role in Rush uh, in uh, Royal Tenenbaums a year after this. But but like, it's just so hilarious to me seeing one of my favorite performances from him in Faces. He will literally not be quiet, and then in this movie, he's dead silent, except for after having done the deed. Yeah. He tells his uh, liaisons all this stuff, yeah. all the bad stuff that they do or whatever, right. and he gets him into all this trouble, which then, okay, so then the woman that he... By the way, let me stop here and say, this movie was absolutely terrible. Yeah, like, I awful. feel like we haven't like, yeah, said that yet. But anyway, As much as like, we were like, eh, about Family Megaplex, this was a good amount worse. Genuinely than really bad. Yeah. But anyway, to get, to get back to the plot for yeah. a moment... Because I know everybody really wants to hear about it. Yeah. If you're still listening to this, God bless you. <laughs> um, that, okay, so... <laughs> oh, gosh. The plot then gets to the point where, oh, there's a woman that knows what they did, and she wants them to... I want you to whack somebody. And she gets them to want to... They're wanting... To whack is, somebody. To, to kill... Yeah. To whack somebody. <laughs> to kill her, her stepmother. Right. But they're like, well, we don't really want to do that. So they come up with this whole really insane plot yeah. where they're going to put a fake skeleton in the bed yeah. and burn the whole house down, yeah. which then accidentally proceeds to burn down Miguel Sandoval's house, <laughs> who's next door, literally to there. Yeah. Then they become friends with the woman they're supposed to kill because they kidnapped her. And it's just... just and then, dumb. meanwhile, Carrie Ann Moss is like... In, investigating the whole thing and Jeremy Piven is actually working for Sandoval mm-hmm. and and she's like oh wait a minute are you my dad yeah to Richard Dreyfuss and he's like forget about it and that's the movie um, he says for, forget about it at least 25 times in the movie I gotta say which is way more than it should have been so this movie is also very bizarrely a part of the late 90s, early 2000s mob comedy phenomenon that went on. The mob hit. Uh, some things like, say, um, Analyze This, I think, was probably the best out of all these, and that was a pretty good little movie. Um, but then also eight even... Heads in a Duffel Bag. Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, kind of before <laughs> this. Yeah. Uh, but then also um, Whole Nine Yards, uh, Get Shorty, um, that might be it that I was thinking of initially, but... So there was a whole rash of mob comedies around this time. Um, and this is really, out of all those, about at the very bottom of the list. Yeah. Even, I think, I, th- I even think Eight Heads and Duffel Bags. And that's a, a really bad this. movie, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. I got that years and years and years ago on Netflix DVD, I remember. Um, I think it is always sitting on HBO Max. No, really. Because I think it's technically a HBO movie. Oh, okay. somehow, and yeah. it is always on there. So. Uh, what did you think of specifically those four people in the, as the cast? It's really pretty disgusting because I think they're really all. I love all of those actors in their own way. Like out of, if I had to rank those actors, Reynolds might be my least favorite, but he's. You know, really good. I still really like Burt Reynolds, but he would be my more lesser of the three. Yeah, you know, I like. But, I, I respect Richard Dreyfuss as an actress, but I just thought he was just actor, way off. Uh, yeah, as an actor. actress. I'm sorry, as an actor. <laughs> um, yeah, he's an actor. Like, so I, I just, um, I didn't really think much of him in this movie. Oh, I you're mean, saying in this movie? Yeah. Oh, and, well, yeah, yeah. Um, he, they, they said Mook a lot. Like yeah. just threw that around. Um, and he's, 
Um, no, yeah, he's, he's like actually, using Italian slang, and it, it says early on that he never really had a quote nickname, and that well, he's few, technically few Jewish, people called him yeah. the Jew or something like that, and then he killed him or whatever, and it didn't stick, basically as they said. Um, yeah, no, uh, in the movie, I think he's one of the worst things about it, actually. But I thought you were just saying about the actors. And no, no, yeah. I mean, no, I, yeah, I don't... in the movie, I think that actually Burt Reynolds might be the best one in the movie maybe. I, I would even say for me personally as far as the actors go uh, Dreyfus would be at the bottom of the list yeah. for me um, Dan Hedaya is always good yeah. to great in anything he's yeah. in Seymour Cassell like you said I mean he's such a great actor in the Cassavetes movies that and even in the Wes Anderson stuff but um, so I think about his performance in Rushmore a lot I think that's one of the most specific great little Wes Anderson characters yeah. um, but it's also the fact that they didn't give him any real dialogue. Yeah. In this was, I guess, a way to have a foursome, but really more of a trio, and then having him as the little a little sidekick off to the side, almost. I guess is what they were going for. Um, but then I don't know. You see, like Frank Vincent pops up in a small role as a guy who like gets him some was it weapon guns or something. No, he remember. gets him a uh, what was it? No, well I can't. No, well, yeah, yeah, he got him a shotgun. Yeah, and then he yeah. pops up at the end, and it was honestly one of those moments. I, Oh, it just kind of wakes you up. Like, oh, yeah. somebody who's been in these really, truly great mob-centric things. Yeah, because none of these people have been in mob movies. That's what's right. so weird about it. Is that, and I like, guess that was the point, is like except, people you don't normally associate with yeah. this stuff and throw them except into that. Except for Seymour Cassell, who had been in that movie In the Soup earlier in the 90s with uh, Steve Buscemi. That's mm-hmm. that movie. I think he's yeah. like a mobster in that or something. But yeah. like other than that, none of those other people had been... Like, like even Dan Hedaya had been in like blood simple but he was that's not like a mob movie but that's no. a crime movie yeah right and burt reynolds had been in the however this many whole crime thing movies, speaking you know, of like, um speaking of thinking about blood simple i should have dawned on me this whole time i never knew this until i was watching the opening credits the producer of this thing was barry sonnenfeld who also directed uh, get shorty and and he was yeah. uh, the Coen brothers dp right early on so he would have likely met hadaya through blood simple yeah um but once I saw his name on this, I mean, I was like, oh, okay. And a certain expectation in my head was instantly adjusted. And I say this to someone who a lot of his 90s movies he directed are actually really oh, good yeah. to great. I mean, Men in Black is Men in Black, great. The, uh, his Adam's Adam Family, Family movies, movies are good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've still actually not seen Get Shorty, but I've only ever heard good things. Yeah. So I expect that to be good. Scored by John Lurie, by the way. Because mm. uh, he, he trashed talking about Sonnenfeld in his book. Oh, like, that's why he was talking process about Process of working okay. with him or I whatever. I know that was why. Saying he's like such a weirdo yeah. guy. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and John Lurie himself is kind of a weird guy, but uh, whatever. Kinda. Love him. Yeah. Love him, but. But once I saw produced by, I was like, "Oh, okay," uh, because that's that finally settles you in for just kind of how milk toast and lame brain. Yeah. this is going to be as a product when you see that. Yeah, uh, and, like, and this is something that we had really built up in our heads. I think we knew deep down. It oh no, we knew great. it was going to be bad. Uh, yeah. but, but we had seen a trailer for this on, on the the, the Oh Brother Art Thou DVD. Right. randomly because that would have come out around that time and yeah, around another Coen Brothers connection that's funny right yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and we had seen a brief trailer a for this and we always movie. laughed about it yeah. and we're like oh what about that and so I was like buying some discs on uh, Best Buy's website and it was like ten less than 10 bucks and I was like yeah let me just grab yeah. a hold of that and and we watched it and we are like this sucks this ain't any good and I'm even thinking now that like you know because to me it reeks of like beach house movie you know what i mean yeah. it's like oh you're chilling and 
you look at the beach house you're in, and we've I think we might have talked about this phenomenon in the past. Is how we first Maybe, saw yeah. the saint. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking about honestly taking it and like the next beach house we go to and seeing if they have any DVDs uh, or VHSs stacked up anywhere, just kind of putting it in there and almost burying it at sea and giving back yeah. to the community in its own way by letting it go and be free. Any other thoughts on the crew? I mean, I know that nobody on here has ever heard of this movie, <laughs> so you'll probably forget about it right when we get done talking about it. It truly is one of the worst movies I've seen in a while. Like it, it I mean, really uh, I'll say it slightly. I, I mean, we rate things on Letterboxd on a five-star system. This is getting a star from me. Oh, yeah. And there, no, you can give yeah. things half a star, so yeah. like that's the worst you can give it. No, uh, because... But. It at least functions as a film. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've seen some movies don't do that. Right, so, yeah. so like, yeah. I yeah. mean, but this is, it's so bad. I was surprised at how bad it was because I, I knew it was going to be that type of movie, more or less. But, I mean. But it, it makes it, a lot of, it's got the, um, you know, uh, freeze frames. It's got like, oh, they're getting snuck in through the back of the, and it's more of a joke, I get it. But it's just like, they're getting snuck through the back of the, the the supper club, so to speak, uh, which Oscar Isaac, by the way, a yeah, very, very, I, that, very young Oscar Isaac is working as the like in the back of that, place. and he's not even cre- he's so uncredited he's not even credited online. Like nobody has. Yeah, about I literally this, like, googled about it, and somebody else on Letterbox had thought they had. But it seen was him. definitely him, though. No, no was, question. Yeah, yeah, but this has been like he didn't 20, even get a line or no, nothing though. I mean, this has been like twenty two years ago. So yeah. I mean, he wasn't even a thing then. Um, we need like, to no. What we need to do is get the crew DVD and like hat and like hold it out with a sharpie yeah. and say, "Will you sign it?" And like, he's like, <laughs> "Who the hell are you?" Like you know, like <laughs> he'd probably do. He'd laugh. Yeah, probably, I would think of yeah. that. But, but uh, crew probably uh, garbage. So yeah. recap. Mate, one loved it. Great. <laughs> Go buy it. Go see it. One of it. the best movies we've seen in a while. Phantom of the Megaplex. Not. It struck again. <laughs> I mean, and then The Crew, one of the worst movies we've seen in a while. So, so I mean, one out of three, that ain't all that yeah. bad, I guess. You know, I mean, two out of three ain't bad, as Meatloaf R.I.P. would yeah. have said. Well, yeah, even Phantom of the Megaplex, while it's not good, I do still have I mean, a nostalgia even Meatloaf's for it. death. <laughs> what? Nothing. To what end? Just, you just seemed like you were just going to move on. I oh, was like, no. Meatloaf died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, rest in Are peace. Are you not going to cry? I mean, on air? No. About sorry. Meatloaf? Sorry. Okay. Maybe next time. He's He's been featured on our pod. I mean, he has. Don't you yeah. feel like you owe him more than that? <laughs> not really. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> our movie for the day Swordfish from 2001. So, we're really stuck in a very, like, you know, uh, early 2000s. We can vibe practically today. taste the brain matter. Yeah. So, Levi, give us the deets on Swordfish. <clears throat> okay. Swordfish is a 2001. <laughs> What are we even doing? You know, like, <laughs> what are we doing, what are we doing today? Are we following up like, Casablanca with Swordfish? Yeah. Don't worry, though. We're going to really redeem ourselves yeah. the next two, Swordfish three Swordfish is a 2001 American action thriller film directed by Dominic Cena. What a name. Yeah. Written by Skip Woods. His name was Dominic Skip Cena. Skip Woods. Look at his picture. He's <laughs> like a total idiot. Who yeah. is this guy? Bruce by Joel Silver. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about who all's in it in a moment, but. The film centers on Stanley Jobson. I won't talk about that Stanley name. Stanley Jobson. Yeah. An ex-con and computer hacker who was targeted for recruitment into a bank robbery conspiracy because of his formidable hacking skills. So, you would remember more about this than me, but isn't it basically that John Travolta is this, like, vaguely intelligence community ghost? Yeah, he's basically who, like this, like, um... You're not really sure early on what he is. If he's yeah. just an information broker, 
Is he a terrorist? Is he a part of the CIA, the FBI? What is he? He's a mystery man of many colors. And he basically recruits um, Stanley Jobson, uh, played by Hugh Jackman, to come. You know, he just got released from jail from like hacking or basically hacking hack, and says, exposing hacked um, a FBI program with a computer virus. That was um, like, and I think it tells in the movie that it's like was like. Collecting people's emails or something or email addresses, basically like and, an early Patriot Act. Type yeah, and he thing, was like you know. saying, "Listen, like what they're doing's wrong and illegal, and I'm just exposing it." So already saying, "Well, he's our quote anti-heroic figure that is our protagonist, but he's not a that bad of a guy himself. Right. He does have a moral code and a compass, which is a lot of hackers claim to have, anyways. But which is very so much gets, well, the opposite of the Travolta mob is that they are like." doing it for freedom in quotes but but they're clearly you, insane well, and crazy like the motivations know. for Travolta's character and his crew are not exactly clear until later in the movie but early on especially it's a very in the movie itself deals in a lot of moral relativism which I want to talk about later but um this whole idea of well you know just you know just do it whatever gets you high whatever gets you off you just got to engage in it. And Stanley, you've been in jail for some, for doing something that you knew was the right thing to do for all these years. Now it's time to live it up. Now it's time to just have a big old, grand old, gay old time, basically. And uh, Halle Berry is basically a henchwoman to Travolta's character. But then she's a DEA agent. But then maybe, yeah, she's a... Uh, She's a double agent, and then maybe she's a triple agent, and it just goes in all these directions. Yeah. It's just, like, pretty absurd and pretty ridiculous yeah. uh, in a variety of ways, as we're going to see. Yeah, so, cast. Hugh Jackman, Stanley Jobson. Um, I had written... A and son not, of a job. Uh, I had written a little... Um, a little niece. A little WordPress oh, okay. uh, article, some years ago actually about this movie um and there was something i want to f- hold on just a second i had said about specifically his name and what his character represents in this i wanted to find hold on just a moment uh i'll just read what is yeah. something says here hugh jackman hot off his turn as the grizzled mysterious wolverine the next man is hilariously miscast to Stanley Jobson, a name that must have been calculated from the same algorithm that produced monikers like Jack Shepard and Meredith Grey. Again, that name, come on. Yeah. Stanley Jobson, what are they doing there? Don't get me wrong, Jackman the Great isn't bad, but he's just a touch or three too tough for a character that is written a bit as a bit nebbish and aloof. Someone like Giovanni Rabisi or pre-Walter White break, or Brian Cranston would have fit the character a bit better. We need something of note to gravitate towards a character that has the bare, uh, has bare bone motivation of clearing his name so he can be reunited with his daughter. Jackson's Jackman's abs may be chiseled, but am I really supposed to believe a hacker forced back into the game would even possess such a feature? Um, so, as I said, I love Hugh Jackman. I think yeah. we talked about him on the past. I think he's, frankly, one of the better new movie stars we've had over the past, say, 20 years Usually, not always, but usually he picks pretty good projects, or at least projects that have something different about them or yeah. have some merit. I mean, one of the best movies of the last 20 years is The Prestige, which is a Christopher Nolan movie that mm-hmm. he's in, and he's amazing in it. The movie's amazing. Um, How could he not know? And then, I mean, him as Wolverine, I mean, 
What does it say about the fact that he was in these quote these X Men movies that we have a lot of fondness for, but in general in the culture was not widely embraced? But he is something that everybody agrees was like the perfect Wolverine. And so I really love Hugh Jackman. I think a lot of Hugh Jackman. I admire what he's trying to do in this movie, but yet again, it should have been somebody a little bit more nebbish, not as yeah. movie starish to play this role. Because like again, I said, Jim Arabisi like pre-Alvin Karpus era in... Or even like, say, a Brian Cranston type. Like That would have been fascinating to see Brian Cranston in Swordfish. Anyways. um, But this... The the fact that you cast Hugh Jackman, again, a guy I think a lot of overall, into this tells you a lot what you need to know about the movie. The movie's going to be slick. It's going to be just purely this big commercial pop kind of action-y thing that's going to look cool and sound cool, but when you get below the surface, you realize it's very stupid. Even like Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti like, would have been interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, and that alternate version, Paul Giamatti would have been a more fascinating Travolta yeah. Um, part. But yeah. yeah, either way. Um, and so, as much as I love Hugh Jackman, I mean, again, he's a guy who just got out of jail for hacking, and he's like got all these very these chiseled abs and looks great. And you're, aren't you just thinking like, would a hacker who just got out of jail all this time look like that and sound well, like that? Maybe he would have got like that in jail. Maybe that's part of the implication. I anyway. guess so, but I, I just really roll my eyes at the whole thing of him in this. And he tries to have this whole moral code and has a shaky one at best early on, and that's put to the test. of. And part of his whole motivation is that his daughter has been taken away from him by his wife, who's like either married to or dating this like pornographic producer. And so he doesn't like the fact that his daughter's, yeah. of course, around a lot of that. And so his whole motivation for this movie is trying to get her out from under that life, which is a good one, a yeah. reliable one. But again, one that I'm like, as much as I love Hugh Jackman, I just don't get him yeah. as this part. But yeah. whatever. And, but yeah, and this and would have been whole, right yeah. after the first X-Men movie. Well, and the whole point, it, too, is they're trying really to hot. make... Everybody kept saying this in all the reviews. They're trying to make computer hacking look sexy. Yeah. And cool. like... Ooh, and like him dancing around and doing. There's a like, scene in particular we're gonna laugh at hysterically when we see this, of like him just doing all this tapping and it's like going through the wormholes and all this stuff. Yeah. And then there's like this music going dance to the music, and he's just yeah. like he's like standing up and dancing around by himself and just like yeah. you know, get some funky or something. Just, yeah. It's just so dumb. It's yeah. just like what are we doing, bro? Like yeah. the whole time. But John Travolta is Gabriel Shear. On the other hand, I said, oh, maybe, like, Giamatti would be better. No, no, no. John Travolta was meant for the gaudiness, the disgustingness of this part. And that makes it sound like he's not good. I think he gives, quote, the best performance of the movie because he knows exactly what he's in. He is hamming it up to the max. His hair, as was earlier described as Euro trash, just looks like something to behold. Yeah. Not quite his Michael days of hair, which has been a few years before this. Um, a Nora Ephron film. Yeah, not this. Yeah. I was seeing, I would love seeing Nora Ephron's script for Swordfish. Been, wow. Would have been instantly better than whatever yeah. garbage was produced here. Um, he knows exactly what he's in. And I mean, he as his career went on, even in the 2000s, he leaned even more into giving these type of roles and these type of over-the-top action, you know, types of performances and uh, movies that he chose. Yeah. In general, what do you think of John Travolta, and what do you think of him in this movie that you well, remember? Well, I've never been a fan yeah. of John Travolta. Um, and there's a whole I, generation we just say of people yeah. in the '70s who saw Welcome Back, Cotter, and then specifically him in Saturday Night Fever. He was just like 
a sex icon. Yeah. He was just seen as one of the sexiest men in the culture back in the 70s. You're saying he doesn't quite project that in Wild Hogs? Hmm? No. <laughs> or as a as a Robert Shapiro. Um, oh, my God. In, <laughs> in, uh, in, in America uh, versus OJ. Yeah. Or um, versus OJ I've always or found him to be one of the strangest um, presences <laughs> in movies. He just is so weird. Uh, and I don't... I mean... But he's like he, he's like a train wreck. Yeah. You cannot look away from him. <laughs> yeah. Any old time he's in anything, you're like, oh wow, John Travolta's in this scene. Yeah. And like, I even, mean, yeah, even that, you didn't uh, see it. I don't think, but even that Gotti movie, like, yeah. which is really bad, um, he is mostly still entertaining to watch just for his mannerisms and for yeah. his makeup. Yeah, and, but I think know, he is genuinely good in this. Um, like I said I think that a movie like. Pulp Fiction, which I totally love. Well, I was going to say that. I think that he, in that movie, though, I find annoying because... And he's right, but that's the right performance for that character at the same time. But you can feel that he feels that movie as a comeback movie. And that he's, like, projecting this air of coolness about himself that is totally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this, though, he's just so over the top and he knows it. That it's acceptable yeah. to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it should be said that Pulp Fiction was a huge deal for a variety of reasons. That was obviously Tarantino's second movie and blew him up into superstardom. And in the, over the course of the 90s, John Travolta in that movie saw this massive career comeback in large part because of the juice that Pulp Fiction gave him. And so he was a bigger deal yet again in the 90s after that movie, even in a movie like Get Shorty, which is a few years after that. But by this point, he's starting to slowly crash and burn yet again, driving into the ground, you know. So. Uh, Halle Berry. Yeah. As Ginger Knowles. So, the, yet again with Halle Berry, this was like with Hugh Jackman. She was Storm in the X-Men movie, so she was seeing a huge um, boost as a result of uh, b- being in the X-Men movies. And mm-hmm. Let me just say about Halle Berry. Um I think she's good as Storm, and I like the X-Men movies a lot. I don't think they quite do the best with Storm in general in those yeah. movies, um, but she, I think she's good in them. Um, Halle this Berry in general, pers- her yeah. whole screen persona is a complicated one, and one that a lot of black women in Hollywood see versions of. Um, was she in that movie Monster's Ball that she won? Yes. Uh, yeah. Have you seen that? No, uh, but she's I've never seen that, that in film school, and that is a wildly complicated, but actually kind of a great movie. Um, but it's also wildly complicated about race in a variety of ways. Uh, but she won an Academy Award for that. Yeah. And in that movie, in a lot of movies that position black women in this way, she is almost plays into the mulatto archetype, a tragic mulatto of. Oh, like, you know, has a relationship with a white man and gets caught up in it and ends up dying this uh, needlessly tragic death. There's a whole literary and mm-hmm. theatrical and film archetype, unfortunately, that plays out over and over and over again. Um, this movie doesn't quite engage in that, but does have a scene towards the end of the movie where she is quite literally being strung up mm-hmm. in an execution-style event that looks very much like a lynching or a hanging. Yeah, right. That is frankly very disgusting and distasteful, saying a lot for this movie that already yeah. has a lot of disgusting and distasteful aspects about it. Um, to the point where we're like, why did we have to use this very clear-cut imagery that is evoking a lynching? Why couldn't it have been in another way? And then, spoiler alert, it turns out she didn't even really die anyways. But 
it is very clearly engaging yeah. in that yeah. visual imagery that lynching evokes. You don't see that happen to any of the white characters in this movie, yeah, but you right. see it happen to a black woman character, which mm-hmm. is very distasteful. And it's something that I only really recently thought about the most recent time I saw it. And I was like, wow, like, why would they do that? Um, but I don't know. It was also know. a big deal that she bared it all in this yeah, movie. Yeah, as a and kid, really I remember when I saw this, I was like, and it was on TNT, so they didn't even show it. Um, but I remember being on TV and talked about, like, ooh, like, she's, there's a shot of her, like, um, bare-breasted or whatever. And, like, it was, you know, uh, I guess all the perverts showed up for that, I yeah. guess. But... Um, well, that was you, part you, of the marketing in a yeah, way. In general, what's your uh, impressions of Halle Berry's movie stardom over the past 20-odd I mean, years? She's good, I guess. I mean, she's not honestly somebody I think an awful lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, every time I see her, she's usually quite good. I mean, it's important to note, though, it wasn't too long after this she had been in uh, Die Another Day. Um, which one of the worst everything in that movie is awful. Of course, she's quite good. I think is Storm. Um, oh, I forgot she was in uh, John Wick Three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, she's fine. Um, you know, like I said, she. I think she's really pretty great in that movie, Monsters Ball. And I actually yeah. think that movie's kind of low key great too. But it is one that is wildly controversial yeah. and. Um, Something that we should watch soonish because I've I've only seen it once in film school and I'm here like huh that's fascinating and then haven't thought a whole whole lot about since then Billy Bob Thornton and Heath Ledger also in that but uh, that's she's probably really well known for that in large part because of uh, her uh, very famously won the Academy Award that uh, the year and then when Adrian Brody took her in her arms and. Yeah. He might have won the next year, and she was presenting for Best Actor. I can't quite remember. I think that's what would have happened. Yeah. But, anyways. Uh, Don Cheadle um, as, what's his name here? Agent J.T. Roberts. I mean, Don Cheadle, friend of the pod, loved Don Cheadle and everything. This would have been right after him in Traffic. Yeah. um, Which came out in 2000. Don Cheadle, to me, is always one of those just reliable, lovable faces you see pop up in anything. And, oh, Don Cheadle's in this. And not yeah. say it must be good or great, but instantly for me, gives off a whiff of quality nonetheless. Um, I know a little bit earlier than this, he would have been in, been in Bullworth, a movie that I don't think yeah. he actually thinks all that much of. He kind of yeah. thinks is problematic. I think that's, frankly, a shame, but one that I totally will, yeah. you know... Allow him he to have his more own thoughts right of, to of have course. an opinion about that um, than we do. Yeah. But love him in that movie, and yeah. then love that movie too, and then love Don Cheadle in general. Uh, it's interesting though that this was around the time he was in like this traffic um, and crash sometime later. So interestingly, well, in both of those first two, he plays uh, cops. I don't remember what he plays. He plays in a tra- cop in okay. Crash. I can't yeah. even remember. Yeah, uh, and like that, he's this very like uptight, very serious police officer mm-hmm. and it's interesting that he became that in the in that time period but then even around that same time had been in like you know had the whole performances uh basher in uh the oceans, the movie, oceans yeah. movies which yeah. is kind of interesting. yeah that would have been this year the, yeah. the first one of those so out. it's interesting that he was kind of doing cops and robbers you know yeah of course, one of the first things I remember really seeing him in was Hotel Rwanda, a movie mm-hmm. that is another one of the greatest middle school movies ever made. Yeah, he's a good perfectly in that. fine movie. Yeah, Nick Nolte's in that, right? Yeah, randomly, Joaquin Phoenix is in that in a really early role as like a uh, 
uh, reporter yeah. or like or whatever. Um, that's a movie that's just interesting to go back and see all the random people that are in it, and yeah. you're like, <laughs> one moment in that movie that me and uh, our good friend, uh, my be- well, I don't even say his name on here just in case he doesn't want to be talked about. I don't know, but my best friend in school in my school days used to laugh about that movie. There was a scene we were in the se- in seventh grade, mm-hmm. that classroom that I teach yeah. in. That was the first time we would have seen that movie, and we were watching it. And there's that part where. Throughout the movie, he's like, uh, Don Shields' character keeps giving all these, like, francs to, because that's the, like, Rwandan currency is uh, the French franc. And he's like, keeps giving these francs and all this money to, like, one of the military leaders there to, like, help them out. And he's kept doing it the whole movie, and he tries to give it to him one more time. And the guy says, oh, Franks, and throws him down. He's like, they're only good for wiping your ass, or whatever. And that's like, one of the funniest, we used to laugh about that yeah. all the time. I remember he's like, only good for wiping your ass, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Well, in general, but Don Cheadle thoughts. Oh, yeah, no, I love Don Cheadle. I mean, uh, it's a movie that I, you know, it's interesting. A couple of years ago, he made Miles Ahead, which is a movie that I like more at the time than I do now. I think it's such a fascinating movie, though. He's been trying it, to make that for years. It's like, wow, that's a movie. I yeah. mean, it's really something different. But yet, yeah, very much samey, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no, I love Don Cheadle. Especially around this era, I think, when he was kind of starting to really be in a lot of stuff, he was really particularly good. Because now he's kind of got sucked into the whole War Machine, Iron Man thing. Yeah, the MCU. And he's kind of been doing more of that stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So uh, interesting Twitter presence. Yeah, he's always mad about something yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, not that he's ever wrong. No, yeah, about, I agree. But politics, it's like but it's yeah. just kind of like, all right, calm down a little bit, you know. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah. Up next is our latest addition into the very, you know, the very famous, very illustrious, only uh, our overlapping third dialogue podcast Hall of Fame, the Immune Levi, or the Immunized. Who is? The latest member of the immune and or the immunized. Sam Shepard. As? Senator James Reisman. So let's talk about Sam Shepard a little bit. Uh, Love Sam Shepard. He, to me, I mean, even a movie like this, him in this, I mean, he's one of those guys that anytime I see his name, it's always has some mark of quality to anything that it is. Even in this, which is not a good movie. He has like a very memorable like three to four scenes that he pops up in. His death, as we talked about last week, is very um, memorable in our eyes. Sam Shepard, I mean, I've read a good chunk of his theater. I mean, True West is, I know, already acclaimed as one of the greatest plays in the American canon, I would agree, what I've read. Um, Great playwright. uh, A really great particular stage and screen actor. Um, he usually has pretty good taste about on the whole about things he's in. Um, he's also one of the co-writers of Paris, Texas, which is frankly one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, Sam Shepard really just has it all. What about Sam Shepard to you is special? Uh, well, it's just I guess the he's not like most movie stars that you'd ever seen. He never isn't, and he's not a movie star either. I should yeah. say, but actors that you would see he's very real mm-hmm. very authentic and very just like himself i think a lot about um, his performance too in the right stuff when yeah. he plays chuck yeager mm-hmm. very famously in that he just is always i mean i hate, I hate the whole meme of they understood the assignment because yeah. i don't really because yeah. movies aren't assignments they art, are yeah. art yeah um you know tyrone power whatever <laughs> you know uh 
but that he always that he's always the most authentic version of himself mm -hmm. in whatever version of himself that. Even in the Pelican I mean, Brief, if you've seen that, his yeah, death like, in that, he took my breath away and then he blows up, <laughs> he yeah. turns the key. And I mean, wait up. a minute, hold the phone now, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Um. No, I mean. We'll be getting to a certain movie before very, very, very long where oh. he plays a character named Dylan for one which scene. Is, which is, frankly, and, for us, taking yeah. on this legendary yeah. uh, like, status. Well, the movie acts like he's legendary, yeah. too, and it's like he's which dead. Which he is. Like, yeah, and he's it's like, Dylan. It's Dylan. I yeah. mean, he's played like, by Sam Shepard. Dylan's dead. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we'll get to that movie later. But, um... I mean, in him, and I think one of his great first performances, obviously, was in um, Days of Heaven. Oh, yeah. Um, really great. No, I mean, I guess it's just as simple enough to say everything he's ever in, he's the best thing ever um, and the best thing about and it. And, again, I think and, of, like, his know. performance in The Right Stuff is very nonverbal. It's very physical. And is very much about trying to create and identify a certain man that is less a man and more of an American mythological trope and that of almost the proto-spaceman. And I think yeah. he is the perfect... There's a lot of really great performances in the right stuff. He's the best of them all. And he is not even actually one of the biggest characters exactly, but his yeah. outsized presence and sense of soul is the most impactful yeah. character in the movie. And what the movie's ultimately all about is his uh, journey in its own way. Um so we love you, Sam Shepard. He died just a few years ago. Yeah, and I even—I mean, think, he even gives some really pretty great little late role movie roles. I mean, he was in Mud. Well, I, I was going to say him and Jeff his, Nichols uh, movies. Jeff Nichols movies in Mud. I think he's really good. The few scenes he's in in Midnight Special. Yeah. Um. So yeah, love Sam Shepard and Sam Shepard. Congratulations! You're now the third member of Overlapping Dialogues. The Immune. It is better to be the right hand of the devil than in his path. As long as I serve him, I am immune. So that makes so, three. The tribe's when, slowly getting bigger. When you die. <laughs> you know what? I might put that at the Okay, at the very end of this yeah. pod, I'm going to put um, a great little poem that he wrote. Yeah. Uh, it was basically, he performed as a monologue before. If only he would have said that when he died in the movie. He's like, <laughs> what if he's deep down thinking yeah, he's about like, it? When you die, and then he's, like, <laughs> he's blown away. Uh, turn um, into S. Yeah, what? <laughs> you turn into S. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> it's absolutely final. Yeah. When you die. Anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll end, end the pod with that. <laughs> we'll run through these other people really quickly. Vinny Jones as Marco. Uh, Vinny Jones, he's just kind player. of been in, I think he's been in some Guy Ritchie movies. Um, he yeah, plays Football like, as in the the, uh, the European football. European title, European title, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he was in Lock, Stock, and he Two was Smoking in Barrel, the famous Snatch. Crazy Gang, the 1988 <laughs> FA World Cup, or FA Cup, I should say. Oh, uh, yeah, Snatch, X-Men, Last Stand. Oh, he's the Juggernaut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, gone in 60 Seconds. So that would have been the year or the year before this that uh, uh, Dominic Cena made also. Um, he's also on that show, Elementary. Um, and then he played uh, the uh, supervillain Brick in the Arrow show. Okay. So he's been in a lot of random stuff. More known as a footballer, it seems, by certain people... Uh, and then also a uh, actor, I guess. Drea De Matteo as Melissa. Uh, oh yeah, she was on Sons of Anarchy, uh, and also was uh, Adriana yeah, in the Sopranos. Uh, Sopranos. So yeah, I didn't remember her being in this. Um, uh, literally, the next episode I'm supposed to be watching season five is Long Term Parking. 
Which so, is uh, goodbye to her yeah. at that point. When you die. Yeah. Um, I've always thought randomly that she's one of the things on The Sopranos that doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> I think she plays a really difficult role um, that in a very sad role that I think is one of the randomly overlooked things on the show that people don't talk enough about. What do you, how do you feel? Yeah, about I that? would agree. I mean, um, I'm re- recently been rewatching it ever since the mini Saints and Newark came out and that show just impossibly gets better every time you watch it. Cause I'm, this is like my, uh, third or fourth time I'm watching it all the way through. And you think it's the best show ever the first time you see it. And you see it again, and you see it again, and it, the layers of it just get more and more intense as you just, and you're like, wow, what a remarkable achievement in every conceivable way. And yeah, I mean, I, my personally favorite relationship on the whole show might be Christopher and Tony. Mm-hmm. And her relationship with Christopher is in of itself very fascinating because they're very clearly in love with each other, but he clearly also has this other life, and she gets caught with some bad things with her. And so she's then pressured by the FBI that, Hey, you're going to rat, you're going to inform and help give you, bring your almost husband to into that. And the horror and the pain that comes with that for her. And then ultimately for Christopher too. um, uh, very, you know, her exit from the show was very, very memorable. Um, but necessary ultimately, ultimately to the plot. But yeah, she's, she's yeah. really good in that. And I've not seen sons of anarchy, so I can't speak. She, to her I think that, that she's the character that has the OD moment oh, that we discussed. Right. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, Rudolph Martin, uh, a German actor, Oxy Torvalds. I don't remember him in this. I don't even know if I know who that is. Let's see. Um, Says he's in. This is the only movie I'm aware of that he. Oh, Four versus Ferrari. He was in, I guess. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not really aware of who he is. Uh, Zach Grainer though is assistant director Bill Joy. He's he's uh, just one of those guys Fight that's in Club, everything. Uh, Tommy Boy and Twister. You know the thing I actually <laughs> remember him a lot from is uh, Deadwood because he's oh, on so much yeah. of that. Um, but and then he was on Ray Donovan. It says. He was in a movie called Liebenstrom. Okay. I'm guessing that's about... No, it's not. It's about... Uh, it's a, I don't know what... Cliffhanger. Remember that face Tommy Boy always said? Uh, the stars fell on Henrietta. Yeah. Okay. Donnie Brasco. Twister, Donnie Brasco, Ride with the Devil, Shaft, Zodiac. I forgot. Yeah, he's in that. Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. We saw that. Yeah. J. Edgar, um, Free the Nipple. What? Okay. Robo the Robocop remake, uh Crown Heights is the newest movie he'd been in. But yeah He's uh, just one of those guys Curb Your Enthusiasm, X Files, he's in a lot of stuff. He's always really good. Like I said Deadwood I think is kinda his best yeah. work probably is on there. He does memorably play one isn't he in Fight Club like Edward Norton's like stiff boss. Yeah, he's the guy. boss guy. That's probably the first time I ever saw him in anything. I really noticed him and thought, "Oh, this guy's really yeah. good." But uh, Cameron Grimes is uh, Holly Jobson. I think that's his uh, daughter. Yeah, his she daughter at the time. I don't know if she's gone on to be in very much, but Magic Mike says she was in. She was originally on Young and the Restless a okay. lot. Jag, ER, um, The Mentalist, Animal Kingdom. That show. Mm-hmm. That was always one of them shows I always wanted to watch and yeah. never did, you know. Uh, 
so she's in it. I don't think any of these other people I'm really aware of. Well, this guy, Carmen and Timo uh, Argenziano, is agent. Steven's agent. <laughs> uh, let's see. He is in The Godfather Part 2. Mm-hmm. Angels and Demons. The Accused. Mm-hmm. Young and the Restless. Also a Young and the Restless guy. Let's see mm. who he was in The Godfather. So he's the end of the night. So, oh, it's Stan. Hmm. Okay. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't either. Sudden Impact, Graduation Day. Who was in Godfather 2, was it say? says he's uh, Michael's Button Man number 2. Okay. Okay. Capone, Jack, Machine Gun Jack, McKern. Okay. So, yeah. Well, there you go. And then one more, Tim Decay as Agent. I've seen him in something. says he was in White Collar. Okay. Um, a white guy in a suit, basically. There's a movie called Buddy Boy. Okay. Look at the poster for that. Okay. Wow. Go look up the poster for a movie called Buddy Boy from 1999. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> um, Larry Sanders show. Grace Under Fire. All right. So, yeah, that's pretty much the actors in this. And uh, let's just briefly talk about Dominic Cena, who was the director of okay. this. Uh, if you'll click on his yeah. resume, we'll see. I know, again, Gone 60 Seconds was the biggest thing he had Videography. done. Videography, wow. Yeah, he directed a lot of music yeah. videos. Uh, California, With I've always K. heard of that, sort of. Gone 60 Seconds, Swordfish, 13 Graves. Wide Out. Oh, Lord, that season of the Witch movie. <laughs> With I Nick forgot Cage. about that. Yeah. So he's not made like a whole, whole lot of movies. No. Uh, which I think is very strange because, I mean, if you're kind of thinking of all the kind of dumb, nothing action movies that get made, why couldn't he have made more yes, of them? Yes, the fact because that... Because his, even, you know, uh, a movie like this, it's not all that great, but it does have a sense of personality and style to it. Yeah, you know? yeah because even somebody like Uva Bowl is able to make Bowl, movies. Yeah. Or is that how you say it? Uva Bowl, yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's just like... Why does he get to, and he don't, you know? Well, he's, uh, he's further uh, down the list, too. He's made a lot of direct-to-video stuff. Well, yeah, and, but, like, he kind of is a notorious, more notorious yeah. film. But, like, but he's still allowed to do things. Yeah. Dominic Senna, I guess, just, he's just a Senna. Yeah. <laughs> um, and speaking Sk- of, uh, let's let's skip Woods. Let's look into Chick yeah, Webb so here. So, X-Men Origins Wolverine, no wonder that movie was so bad. Yeah. Live Free or Die Hard, Hitman. Yeah. A Good Day to Die Hard, The A Team. Mm-hmm. Wow. You remember that movie? Yeah, barely. Yeah. Sabotage. Yeah. David Ayer. Hitman, Agent 47. So, man, he. <laughs> look at him. I mean, of course he makes movies like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sorry. Skip Woods, if you're no listening offense, to this, Skip screw Woods. you. <laughs> um, but this whole slickness and style does to me is very post Tarantino. Yeah. And I mean, the very opening of the movie is. You know, this, like, um, looking at the camera, like, is, like, John Travolta going over the plot of Dog Day Afternoon. And that this would have been the first time I would have even heard or known what Dog Day Afternoon was. And him, like, basically shrugging at it and going, I'll tell you all these ways Dog Day Afternoon isn't realistic. Um, and then deciding to, you know, just trash that for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's a very memorable opening. It immediately kind of grabs your attention. And even literally vacillates visually between something shot on video versus something shot on film. And I don't think, I'm not going to go overboard hyping this up, but it does speak to the sense of reality and unreality that this movie is playing with. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the most memorable lines that is repeated over and over again is less a line than more of a single, single word is on Travolta's part, misdirection. 
that we're being misdirected this whole time. Um, and it's also, you know, not on a narrative plot level, but I think on a visual level, very much inspired by the recent, you know, Matrix phenomenon, which had come out two years before this. Yeah. And we've talked about the Matrix movies over the last several pods, I know. Um, but this whole movie has just this slickness and a style to it that is very late 90s, early 2000s, both in its dialogue. It's very Tarantino-esque inspired. And there were a lot of bad Tarantino ripoffs in the 90s that were trying to do Tarantino. And sometimes Tarantino can't even quite do Tarantino. So you can imagine the ways yeah. in which that can fall apart pretty quickly. I think one of the few good Tarantino ripoffs is something like, say, Shoot 'em Up, which I think is like, I yeah. deeply, deeply love a movie like that. Yeah, because revels even in its like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which I never saw, doesn't really look like much of anything. Which Shane Black's kind of a hack, anyway. Yeah, that movie's all right. I'll say that, but is really wildly overrated and overpraised. I think yeah. uh, for whatever reason. Um, but also like The Matrix and like Tarantino, and this was very in vogue in the '90s and 2000s. This movie, as we said earlier, deals with a sense of moral relativism. Like, well, whatever you got to do. To make it, you know, make your success your own, do it. Um, now, something like Tarantino is clearly in this pastiche kind of uh, form, oftentimes in which you're dealing with criminals or characters that already have a compromised moral compass. I feel like something like Jackie Brown was taking a step in the direction of actually having characters like a Jackie Brown type who isn't, ex you know, she might, well, she does not be a criminal, but she's clearly this working class person who only sees this as her out or way right. to get out. Yeah. Now, something like The Matrix, we don't quite think of in these terms, but I do think the whole notion or idea in The Matrix of, well, um, you've just got to kill these, like, quote, people who are in your way who are trying to stop you from, you know, bringing down this, like, whole institutional oppression that is The Matrix itself we don't necessarily think of that, I don't think, as moral relativism, but it certainly engages in that notion yeah. that, well, we'll just kill these people because they are in my way. And I mean, something I think we had talked about with The Matrix back when we were a while back was the whole idea that, you know, the the uh, agents can, like, take over whoever's body that they who is close. And then when they're killed or defeated, that would then kill... Well, even though the agents even taking over the body yeah. instantly kills off right, the, that person. That person. Yeah. And so the whole idea, well, if they're doing that, then we'll kill whoever we need to just so we can realize our vision and ultimately bring down the Matrix. We don't think of that exactly as moral relativism, but it is a version of that. Yeah. This movie itself, while you know, not it's not clearly like, oh, like we are living in a world by machines. It is playing into the notion that there are these wars that we would more than likely often not pay attention to that, hey, have these consequences and need to be paid for and need to be funded. We're the ones who are going out there and doing that. So how dare you judge us for baking, you know, backing up the basic freedoms and rights and privileges that our country enjoys yeah. is ultimately what Travolta's character comes to in trying to make us as an audience feel guilty for such a thing right. even having to occur in that way. And that goes also, I think, into the whole notion of terrorism real, you, as entertainment. You, you owe it to Uncle Sam for all the freedom you enjoy. Yeah, Triple I mean, X was yeah. a few year, a year or two Secret away from this. agents. Agent. <laughs> I mean, the word agent yeah. was really something. It had its own agency at that moment. You know. Very true. Um, but yes, I'm sorry, terrorism, yes. 
So this movie came out when? It was it June or uh, July of 2001? June. June 8. of 2001. I had a vague understanding of what terrorism was going, you know, in a pre-9-11 yeah, I think context. That, I think that uh, America had a very vague understanding of what it well, was. Well, you think too. about, like, what how terrorists are depicted in, like, 80s or 90s action movies. I mean, you think of, like, True Lies. That's usually held up as one of the definitive... Yeah pre-9-11 examples of what, quote, terrorism's depicted in cinema. Yeah. Um, that Grant Heslov's character is, like, very much a caricature of a Middle Eastern or Arab uh, terrorist of, you know, the 90s. The whole idea of terrorism is this vague idea, this abstract thing, would literally be irrevocably changed just a few months from when this movie was released, of course, with the events of September 11th. And we've talked all about September 11th on a previous podcast. Mm-hmm. So we encourage you to go listen to that if you'd like more of our um, interpretations or trying to grapple with or understandings with that. But mm-hmm. this movie, again, is very strange. A very strange pre-9-11 uh, depiction of terrorism and the whole idea of, you know... There's a, there's a scene in particular that I want to point out when we get into it where... Travolta's talking about the whole idea of we need to fund terrorism that we're going to then go and perpetuate against these other places in the world. And he goes as far as he has his whole little monologue where he says at one point, they bomb a church, we bomb 10. We do this, they do this, we'll do that. There's this exponential uh, reactionary reaction to whatever they do to us, we're just going to do that much harder to them. And this whole other sense of his villainy or his... Uh, antagonism in the movie is one that ultimately is kind of pointing the finger at the audience in the same way the opening monologue is looking directly at us that he is saying we need to exist out here you need us on that wall yet again un- yeah. not unlike Jack Nicholson in, you need uh, me on that wall a few good men yeah. that he what Travolta's character this is represents yeah. <laughs> is this Sorry, like necessary Steve. villainy yeah. that we don't want to grapple with or reckon with but something that ultimately this movie, even in a pre-9-11 context, is acknowledging yeah. in some regard. Mm-hmm. How does any of that say, uh, how's any of that reflected to you in the movie as you remember? Yeah, it? I think that I think so. And I mean, uh, it is interesting though that it, it. I feel like the movie is. It's weird because the movie it's it's doing that whole little dance that it, these movies like to do, where it's saying, "Oh well." I'm really not the bad guy. It's all these people that are the bad people, or even, or, or as Paul Bartel would say at the end of Amazon Women on the Moon, how about you? You know, or whatever. Is like, have you felt it? Or, yeah. But, um, that at the same time, I feel like the movie is acknowledging that Travolta as a character ultimately is someone who just wants, like, uh, the Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker, just wants to watch the world burn. He's so just, you think that's, he's already totally that insane. moral relativism yeah. he's showcasing is just purely, uh, a shrugging of any responsibility that he himself bears in this, just so he can have a, a sort of a moral out for yeah. what he's actually yeah. doing is just pure greed on his part. Yeah, or is just, it, even, not even about money, just about, he just wants to create destruction. Yeah. And is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think, and, you know, there's. I mean, there's a profound moment because that's the weird thing about the movie. It is quite. It's bad the movie, yeah. but it actually is pretty profound at moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that scene with him and Sam Shepard where he says the line. He's like, uh, "I've switched identity so many times. I don't even know who I am anymore." And yeah. like, 
there's a certainness to that line that makes you think about that type of person who's had to be in essence a liar mm-hmm. for so long and had to and had to be this thing and had to be that thing and had to be dead and not not I didn't know who can't I didn't know who's not mm-hmm. you know that he just goes insane mm-hmm. and that he doesn't even know what anything is anymore mm-hmm. you know and so in that way I think he is a, a sort of a profound character study who's also totally ridiculous yeah. I mean this is ridiculous yeah. so yeah <laughs> something I'd written about Don Cheadle's character who again he plays like. I don't quite remember if he's FBI or NSA. It says agent. Let's see. Stephen's agent. Uh, I'll look here. You go okay. Um, how cool would it have been if Roberts, which is Cheadle's character, sets yeah, in the... FBI agent. If, yeah. Okay, so he's FBI. This is something I had written again in my little notes yeah. about the movie. How cool would it have been if Roberts sets in motion a plan just as recula- reckless and volatile as Shears that would have doubled as an allegory for warring factions within our own government? Nah, maybe not. The whole idea of, hey, like... What if he himself also was kind of this crazed madman who was like, well, if he's doing this, I'm just going to do this. And is like almost a metaphor for the uh, absurd war games or theater that America plays. So much so that you even have groups like the FBI and the CIA literally kind of fighting a war or of this factionalism taking place. That could have actually been an interesting wrinkle in the movie and would have, frankly, gave Don Cheadle's character more of something to do than just purely being the guy who's running and playing catch-up the whole time. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, Final question. Why this? Why? Tell me why. Well, <laughs> I, I'll go to, uh, and we'll hear our friend uh, John Travolta say, I think, why we're doing this movie um, in certain ways. You know what the problem with Hollywood is? They make shit. Unbelievable, unremarkable shit. I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> couldn't, have, couldn't have said it better ourselves, you know? Yeah, it's just like, because because Hollywood needs to be told, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, we've already been, I mean, we've already thought a lot about Hollywood way more than we needed to today mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, of Phantom of the Megaplex, which did strike again, by the yeah. way. Uh, I mean, I don't know. The movie's fun. It's, but I, you know, and it's one of those movies that it it's bad and it has a reputation of being kind of whatever. I don't think it's particularly really all that bad though. It's just kind of it's no, just I mean, it's ridiculous. But it's a soft two, maybe yeah. a two and a half star. But movie. it's a movie that has so many ideas that aren't even necessarily interesting so much as they are like, oh, okay. But like you said, especially the. That it came out just before nine eleven. It instantly makes it, it an important little, yeah. little historical cultural object in terms of our own understandings or with terrorism in a pre nine yeah. eleven world. And I think it just exists as one of those movies that, at a certain age, if you see it, you're like, oh, this is just so profound. And then you're like, no, it's not. I mean, what's the? Uh, it was in the trailer. We're gonna get ready to play here in a little bit. Um, but on the poster, the tagline for this movie is laughably arch. What does it say again? Log on, hack in, go anywhere, steal everything. So, I mean, that you know, that yeah. just sums up what the movie's all about. That's what it's all about. You know? Yeah, as, as, as Stephen King once wrote as Richard Bachman, uh, just going around to pick up your order. Yeah. That's what it's all about, you know? So, you're going to well, hear the trailer for Swordfish, which is deliciously... 2001 to the max. The wickedly talented. Oh. <laughs> Why would we not bring that up in him? 
<laughs> my god wait yeah so the, <laughs> what is there even to say i don't even know like i remember the, watching that live the whole yeah. him him attempting to introduce adina menzel yeah uh it was when the frozen was like the biggest thing ever at the time and she obviously had a voice and song in that and he was the wick saying the wickedly talented adele, adele dazim and then you can tell he's kind of like uh, you can tell he's like oh yeah God. and then the next year they had that whole oh my, God. Oh, my lovely <laughs> adina and he's like holding her face and she's like this is the creepiest thing yeah. ever yeah. like yeah. yeah no i mean the wickedly talented Adele does That was like after the whole fiasco with the, uh, Beatty and Dunaway yeah. announcing the best picture winners. Should have been Moonlight, but they said La La Land. Um, that they brought them back for the very next year to do it yet again. The whole point of them doing it in early 2017 was because it was like the you know 50th anniversary of Bonnie and Clyde. Which nobody will ever remember that. Yeah, about, but you know? and then then it was like, oh, let's just bring them back so they can quote be redeemed or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> speaking of Hollywood, we making get an talented. Yeah. Trash. Uh, again, you're gonna hear the trailer for Swordfish, and then we're gonna dive right into the movie. Who is he? He exists in a world beyond your world. What we only fantasize, he does. He lives a life where nothing is beyond him. He picks what he wants, when he wants. So how do I find him? You don't find him. He finds you. Good job. Senator, we have a problem. Did you know that I can buy nuclear warheads for 40 million each? Hell, I buy half a dozen and get a discount. What do you think is going to happen if he starts tying up loose ends? My employer wants to meet you. He'll pay you just to meet you, Stan. Ever heard of Operation Swordfish? Nope. It's a sweet deal. Nine and a half billion. Do you have any idea of how much money that is? We go in over the phone lines, pop the firewall, sit back, wait for the money. So what we need from you, Stanley, is a worm. Marco, let's give him some incentive. Hey, what are you doing? I have been told that the best crackers in the world can do this in 60 minutes. Unfortunately, I need someone who can do it in 60 seconds. You're kidding. Go! 45 seconds. You're gonna get these people killed! 20. Who are you? I'm not what you think I am. More time, more time. Come on, stand. 15. I think that you think I'm a bankrupt. Truth is that I'm worse. Control, be advised that this is now an aerial pursuit. Hold on. Three, two, one. Too bad, you gotta die. No, 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 wait, wait. Not everything ends the way you think it should. John Travolta, Hugh Jackson, Halle Berry, and Don Cheadle. Swordfish. And here we are. We're back. Lou, I just read that tagline just one more time for us here. Log on. Hack in. Go anywhere. Steal everything. Uh, so, Swordfish uh, is rated R. Why? Violence, language, and some sexuality slash nudity. There you go. So, we're watching this off the Blu-ray, 
which has a random amount of special features. Yeah, I was just I'm frankly surprised that. Yeah. Uh, that it has. It says two alternate endings. That tells me they had really no idea how to end oh, this. Oh, yeah. Uh, commentary by the director, HBO First Look, Effects in Focus, The Flying Bus, Planet Rock Club, real music video. We're going to have to watch that on our own at yeah. some point. Swordfish in conversation, cast and crew interviews, and of course the theatrical. Maybe we'll even do that at the end. What do you think? Yeah, the, maybe we the music yeah, video. Maybe we'll do that. Just, uh, do just a little blurb here from Mike Sargent from WBAI FM New York says, "The French Connection meets the Matrix. If it were any hotter, you burst into flames." So, well, there you go. So again, we're watching this off the Blu-ray. Hit and play in five, four, three, two, one. Uh oh, you got a glitchy yeah, Warner like, Brothers logo. Things God. are not as they seem. Or deep down, somebody watching this in the theater is like, "Wait, they're going to video already? Digital projection?" But again, as I said, the Village Roadshow logo in of itself is going to make people be reminded of the Matrix. But this whole yeah. opening is, "Oh, things are not as they seem," and very Matrixy kind of opening here. Even the music and the, like, typing out the title. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, he would know. Uh, oh, we went from video to film. Well, this is the best part. It's like they're, like, talking to us. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, wait a minute. Com- commentaries. Yeah. Like, realism this is like it's kind of easy to make fun of but i think a legit good opening scene because it really throws you off too like uh the way by the way he's like short of scarface and godfather part one it's like well first of all (laughs) i think he actually is better in godfather one than two well, uh, most people would and most people say two, don't. So, yeah. okay, you're actually right on that, but Scarface, like, no. Yeah. That's like one of the randomly like worst no performances. Arthur, Arthur uh, ever. You, like, know. you know, respect. They didn't push the envelope. But I really like this opening, how it shifts the focus. Really uh, wanted that. And it's really like, you're like, wait, who's he talking to? Where is he? Yeah. And I love, too, that... <laughs> In the like eleventh hour of these hostage negotiations, he's, talking about he's like, all you know this. what? Let's just talk about some dog day afternoon. Yeah. You know, yeah, and also the fact that, by the way, I just want to say we were talking about this yesterday. That like he's saying like, oh, why didn't he just do this? It's like, well, it's also based on reality, Real, yeah. realism. Yeah. I mean, so meanwhile, that guy's like, hmm. I don't care. But, you know, it's like, why yeah. did he do this? It's like, well, it's because it was actually based on a true event. Yeah. And the guy wasn't very smart. Maybe so. Swordfish is based on a true story. Who knows? Her story. Yeah. Flintless. Bam. Bim. Bim. Because you're lying. I love, like, you know, this is 2001. This would be yeah. coming out. It's like, whole high-def, yeah, computer-enhanced, really, like... like Remember back when, like, what the HD TVs of that day were? There were these big fat plasma screens. Yeah. Like, I said those TVs are still pretty nice, but yeah, they last a long time too. I think supposedly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Don Cheadle's little commentary here now. Yeah. Us, <laughs> us sitting here like, what? Like, Like, no, actually, this is why, like, I was like, you're kind of homophobic, hmm. sir. Hmm. This, I was drinking coffee a while ago, and I was thinking about that. I was like, <laughs> wait, yeah. is, that, that, is that how you see yourself? And then you I was like, coffee? you know, guys, I gotta go. Got a jet. Got a jet. <laughs> And then, in the and then in my doorway, for some reason, like, <laughs> they're like, "Are you going to do a swordfish commentary? We got to put you down." You know? <laughs> and I've got like a mom. <laughs> this is me when I need to get out the door and kids are crowding it. I'm like mm-hmm. this. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how cool this movie treats Travolta like he's just the coolest so guy lame. ever yeah. <laughs> it's so laughable but you imagine somebody who just kind of very casually bought a ticket for this and oh, we'll see what's up and then they're like man this is so awesome and cool yeah. like <laughs> I mean so far it hasn't done anything particularly wrong but yeah, that opening it's so pretentious, it's kind of lovable almost. Yeah. It's just like, oh wow, like it's God, this looks mm. awful the way it looks. Yeah. You know. And I love too how like specific and well shot the interiors were earlier and then yeah. gets outside and it looks so ugly and yeah. yellow and there's a Tom Cruise's uh cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan Cruz, is that his yeah, name? Yeah. No, Ethan. Is it Ethan Cruz? Okay. Thank you. Well, it well, could be Mapother, but. Yeah. That guy. We were talking about earlier. That's actually his name's uh, William Mapother. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now he played a character named Ethan on Lost. I think right. that's why I got confused. <laughs> I would be too at this point. <laughs> Electronic dog collars. <laughs> I love there's always this dynamic in like hostage situations in movies where it's like, someone's like, wait a minute, don't do this. Yeah. And then somebody's like, nah, we're going to just storm in and do Which whatever. Whatever actually happens in real life, we should say everybody's really slow and all cautious, the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's dead. <laughs> I 
No. She's yeah, and gone. I love they're like, well, whatever. We'll just let yeah. the person die, I guess. She's gone. Let her go! Jobson. You knew he was in, you know. He was really looking to save the day. He's trying to be a whole Matrix thing. Yeah, right? yeah. Like I'm saying, like the narrative itself isn't exactly heavily Matrix inspired, but so much of the visual language and imagery is trying to really mm -hmm. coast off of that. I guess there wouldn't be another Matrix movie until what, the O three, yeah. the second and third one came out. They made those other ones, yeah. So, so there's a little bit of a wait there. It was like four years between the originals and the that didn't turn out good at all. No, so. that was kind of a disaster. But well, well. And again, I think it's actually an interesting choice on the movie's part to begin in media res and then yeah. go back. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, my God. So bad. That's a good Twitter pick there. Yeah. <laughs> four days earlier. Only four days. Yeah, it seems awful. <laughs> awful quick with all the things that happen. So this is another one of the cool hackers that's being, you know, recruited, basically. I always wonder about depictions of hackers in films. Like, I feel like there's usually it's played off as a way cooler profession or yeah. uh, you know group of guys and gals than it really would be. But maybe I'm underestimating. I don't know. They probably see themselves as the coolest people ever. But yeah, that's expensive equipment. Like, wait a minute. Oh my god. See, this could have been an airport movie. You know, they could have spun spun it off into this direction, but. How would he keep that in there? Guess he didn't think it'd be found. That could be a good little premise for a movie is like a hacker's being held by, you know, airport security for something, but then some the systems go down at the airport and he has to help restore the restore the balance of power, like basically die hard but in an airport. Yeah. Oh, they did that already, die hard too, but yeah. Yeah. Well, a good one, I should say, then. <laughs> I haven't seen the third one in forever. I know a lot of people think that's actually pretty good. I remember thinking it was all right. but uh, Yeah, I wasn't that crazy about the second one. That is a, just right up there with Home Alone 2 in terms of let's just kind of do the yeah. same version well, of the first one. Well, it does seem one, like the third one was a little bit different. Yeah. And like that was like... How slow he did all that. Yeah, he's just kind of like, got on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, whatever. Yeah. Like, um... Like, he's not that worried about it. But it? Okay. that third one did have, like, a, you know, Samuel Jackson right after a kind of Pulp Fiction had come out. And so he was right around that time anyways. Yeah. So that did inject something into that those movies. Yeah. Well, well. He's just going to, he's really like, oh, I'm going to get away with this. Like, <laughs> spoiler alert, but his death later is just pretty funny. That's his big move? Like... <laughs> He couldn't even jump over the look on his face. He's like, dang it. Oh, here's our, here he is, the immune. Yep. Axel Torvalds? Wow. I mean, that's a Skip Woods name if yeah. there ever was one. You know? <laughs> well, that chick web. Like. <laughs> he wishes. 
Torvalds. So she's better get sure, son. Somebody's cock will wound up on the block. Well, meanwhile, I love how he was like, oh, he wouldn't speak it. He refused to speak English. It's like he was speaking English like five minutes before that. I guess after he got what does called, he think yeah. that What does he think they're no that English, dumb yeah. that they will to be? To Havlin you know. Oil Company. Oh, by the way, this says Midland, Texas. You can basically see the L.A. skyline in the yeah. background if you look close enough. This is like, and this looks like the valley anyways, basically. I mean, yeah. very clearly like, wow, this is not Texas, yeah. but whatever. I guess they just think we're rude, but we don't, you know, it takes two seconds to check, you know, see through this stuff. See yeah, through that L.A. haze. It's very much not Ve or Texas, I should say. I'd say it's very much not Vegas. Like, it's also not that, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Look at her. Halle Berry. In the movie's Halle be like, Berry. Ooh, ooh, rah, rah. As, like, uh, Paul Giamatti once said. <laughs> Again, this movie thinks this is so clever. Like it's really basking in that post Tarantino like snappy dialogue. Like I'm gonna make this reference and that reference. Secrets. Hack in. Like, <laughs> Again. Log on. Log on. Hack in. Go anywhere. Steal everything. I might get that tattooed some point in my life, you know, on my arm. Just like, it's like that and that Metropolis quote, you know? It's like, the two, there are the two Kyles, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hmm. I wonder who's like golf ball, whose yards like, these golf balls are landing in. in there. Yeah, and then like old brand new Heineken, like, you know. <laughs> My God. <laughs> All the Monopoly heads out there. All the movies that use that. Yeah. You know. They put a gun he, he to your head. Al, he can already practically taste the brain. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's better than being a friggin' felon, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Guard dog. Meanwhile. Oh, in Los Angeles, I presume. Yeah. 
is old Adriana. Look like at first she was wanting to look at the clock and complain about the hour, and then she was like, "Oh no, it actually isn't." That late. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that early, I should say. Like. It is interesting to hear her accent is less like New Jersey right. uh, yeah. than I'm so used to hearing it. Said he has guard dogs already. Though. Yeah. Well, actually, she always has been. Yeah. Always has been. Always but, has been. You know, whatever, I guess. Sure. Again, neither option, unfortunately, for this girl is good. I mean, yeah. I think, obviously, she shouldn't be in the house that she's in, but then yeah. also, it's like her dad was a hacker. I don't know. You know, that's, you know, I don't know. In Midland, Texas. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. It's interesting that you have three X's, seeing as how you have three strikes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Triple X. Judas the Black Messiah. And Judith. Hundred G's. A A A A. Until he puts a gun to your head and forces you into right. the whole thing. But yeah, right. cool. FBI field office, Los Angeles. Well, you know. Rules don't apply to him, I guess. Yeah. 
Ikea boy. Had to bring that up. No, there's not a lot of Ikeas right around us. I know. I guess there's some more around Charlotte. Uh, yeah. Maybe in Asheville. I don't know. But that guy there. Yeah. I'd bring up Hamlet, you know. <laughs> that is way too smart for him to know. <laughs> I that. know, like, but Skip Woods not too smart for him. No, all of Cheadle's yeah, as, whole strategy whatever. Here. Yeah. Like Hawaii, Alaska, sure, but like. Early 2000s vibes. <laughs> they? <laughs> How much do I they? <laughs> Oi, they? So he just straight up threw the lawyer out of the room. And said that. I mean. So it's likely violating this guy's rights, but whatever. I mean, you're talking about a squad right there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Vinny Jones and a Mapoder in the wings. I didn't see his name in, in the credits earlier, no, or in the uh, yesterday or uh, earlier when we oh, were yeah. looking. Right, yeah. Yeah, spoiler, we're doing this the next day. From you the said day something we, about that earlier. Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, yesterday we were talking about blah, yeah. blah, blah. But due to movie slash editing magic, it's all here. I mean... Computer enhanced. <laughs> I mean, Mickey Rooney told us like the magic of the movies, yeah. like, you know. Yeah, they don't call it first class anymore. What do they call it? Call it uh, business class. Oh, okay. And then economy class is like the rest. Oh, okay. I guess like they're like, oh, people are offended by that now or something. I don't know. Well, maybe not even offended, but just like they wanted to change it because it gets a bad rap or something. Right. I don't know. Like, I didn't mean that. I'm like everybody's offended about everything now. Right, I no, just I meant know, like yeah, yeah. you know the stigma that comes right. with that. Yeah. Just look how cool Travolta is. Because you know? no, people aren't offended by everything. They're just offended by stuff that's racist and sexist. You know, that's it, really. I mean, he <laughs> lives a life where nothing is beyond him. The trailer had some lines about he exists in a world beyond our own or something like that. Oh, what is he? Four D? Like, yeah. what do you mean? Like, you know, smell a vision. <laughs> well, technically, we are in four D. I think. Yeah. But what is he? Five G? Like, <laughs> he takes what he wants when he wants, and he has that hair. Like, I don't. Yeah. It's the best he could do. Yeah. 
one of the most annoying things in movies is literally like he finds you like no tell me where no, he is tell me where the hell he is now like <laughs> you have five seconds to comply like <laughs> or this, or this bullet will self-destruct right, in your yeah. head like <laughs> Assistant director of the FBI. <laughs> I can't believe the FBI would violate someone's rights. That's just out out of the norm yeah. for me, you know. The days of Jay Edgar. Like. So the base got we need him here. Yeah. So they're like, we'll get him out. Hack in, yeah. like I mean, still everything. They've logged on and they've hacked in. Yeah. What comes next? Go anywhere. Go anywhere. I mean, yeah. That's his next. Steal everything. I mean, that's the next thing. Like, or no, they wanted him dead. No, yeah, they're gonna kill him. Okay, before he rats, he turns fink. <laughs> He's got to be so ill, like. You got Epstein. Yeah. That is one of the, like, quickest conspiracy theories I've ever seen basically become canonical ever. Yeah. Does, ever, no, does anybody believe Epstein killed himself? Like, it doesn't even matter your political persuasion at this point. It's just yeah. like, everybody's like, oh, no, he didn't. Like, he was clearly killed, like. Is this the world far beyond our own? Like, I guess more than likely, but I don't know. I mean, but that's just something that's just so widely ex uh, assumed now by most people. Well, okay. just like, you well, know, I'm just saying, yeah. as quickly as that has developed, like usually it takes years before yeah. a conspiracy. Well, I don't know. The implications about what all that means are so clear anyway. I don't think it really matters whether he was killed or not. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like he was anyway. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the implications mean that whether it actually happened or not. Like, but whatever. His hair is so bad. Okay. You know. Yeah.
at Dale. Yeah. State of the art Dale in 2001. Where's the gateway? <laughs> he looks so fake. Like, he doesn't even look like a this real human This line from Jackman right after this kiss here. <laughs> yeah, really. Like. <laughs> oh, by the way, just hack what into the think? Pentagon like, for me. I don't know. What? <laughs> I've heard that a lot of hackers or people who know about computers have said there's a lot of crap in this movie. It just straight up makes up. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, you can see through that. I mean, <laughs> that's you know, the private party yeah. shades. <laughs> it's party time! As a hicker dicker doc once told us. Gone in 60 seconds. So dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just literally <laughs> like S posting intensifies. <laughs> he would have been a great meme lord, you know. So stupid. <laughs> so juvenile. It's all like, you think this is a game? You know, DMX taught us. One of them looked like it said dead admin. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad. You gotta die. Like, why would he have to die? Oh, I love this game. <gasps> oh, but he got it in just in time. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. I mean, not if he doesn't want to be. Yeah. We'll kill you. Like, okay. All right, then you won't get what you yeah, want. Yeah, it's like, oh, uh, well, uh, you can practically taste the brain matter. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's his go-to, you know. That's his sales pitch, yeah. That's literally the dumbest little scene in a movie. It's like that scene in Crank, one of them Crank movies, <laughs> where he has to get his heart rate up so he has sex with a woman in front Just, uh, in public. Yeah. Like, yeah, so bad. Like, I actually want to see those movies. Uh, I haven't seen all of them full all the way through. See the Transporter movies too, Statham. That movie. Uh, 
one of them like Parker. Well, it's like supposed to be a Walker thing, but he's called Parker in the movie, I think. And he's like, "Who are you?" In the trailer, and he's like, he's holding a gun at him. He's like, "Parker." Yeah. Like, you know? I remember. I think me and my cousin Philip saw that movie, and were baffled by how awful the climax was. It literally takes place like in a garbage dump or like a yeah. you know, just like nowhere and it's so lame and dumb. Yeah. And like the trailer in general makes the movie look way better than it even is. So. Yeah. There was that one though, James Franco played Gator Bodine as the yeah. villain or whatever. That that one's actually that was, good. Uh, was home, safe. Home, home front or home or, front or safe house or that one was actually good. Did you see that one? No. Okay, I can't remember. You mean theoretically, right? Like, good. No, it was fun. I mean, but it was actually competent. Like, I mean. Home front. Screenplay by Sylvester Stallone. Thankfully, he wasn't in it. That them guys, like, look at them. Another movie I wanted to mention while we were watching this too uh, is, um, oh God, what's that Ridley Scott movie? Enemy of that State guy over there. Yeah, is. Yeah, re- reminiscent of this in some ways about the being about kind of sort of the surveillance state and that movie famously had Gene Hackman in it and there's like all these vague connections to his conversation character and some people think it's like a quote sequel spinoff mm-hmm. to him his character or whatever which I don't know it's stupid if that's true That guy. Yeah. <laughs> Are you done? <laughs> Scumbag, like. This movie needs, I mean, in general, movies need more Don Cheadle anyways, but it's just like, totally squanders him as being kind of a, this character in, in the midst of all this, the fly in the ointment. Yeah. Oh, she is. You want to sit on it. What does that mean? Surveil. No, I know, but yeah, it's like, what, you want, to go, it, what you want to go up on the roof like, yeah. and sit on it? Like, <laughs> we'll go to that pool on top of the roof, like at South Caldwell High School. That's the lamest thing ever. We get set, that's get said at every high school. Like, oh, there's a pool on the roof. <laughs> so, Hack in. You like, tell at the time, in 2001, this is like, oh, the epitome of class and privilege is all this, like. By the way, Torvalds didn't uh, go anywhere and steal everything. Yeah, he already hit a speed bump in the body bag. A logic bomb? Dropped it through the trap door. That's me when I teach kids every day. I'm like, (laughs) I took a logic bomb and I dropped it through the trap door, you know? What? And it's like uh, a DVD of uh, the Eraser. You know, it's like, it's like this is the fir- this is one of the first DVDs. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Why do I care? You can pre- 
you can practically taste James Conn's death. You can practically taste the high octane thrill ride. <laughs> Need a hydro like. Can you imagine an alternate version of this movie where, like, made in the seventies or eighties, where James Conn played the Travolta part and like Elliot Gould played the, um, the Hackman part? Yeah. Yeah, look, you see his skin in this shot? Like, his yeah. makeup on it? Like. I'm at Travolta, by the way. Yeah. By the way, have I talked about how there's a certain person that we know in our life that reminds me a lot of John Travolta? Mm, I don't think so. I'll tell so. you who it is later. Okay. If you want to know, email us no, at Huffman Brothers Productions at gmail.com. If you've got the cojones. They both kind of look like him, and they're full of crap, so. Hmm. I think I might know who you're talking about, but yeah. well, I don't know. This is the computer, famously, later on, he has his little dance uh, all oh, the time. Let him play, like. Yeah. It'd be like trying to kill the president. Yeah. Like. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Let me drop a logic bomb on that one. You know, like. <laughs> And see what and see what shakes loose. Like. <laughs> CM Punk famously dropped some pipe bombs. Like, yeah. What would be the fun in hacking? Well, I guess just on a nerd level, for people who love computers, it's just like, ooh, the thrill of uh, you know outwitting or outlasting a program or blah, like blah, Survivor. Blah, yeah. He's like, oh, he's like the audience, like, okay, why? Like, <laughs> can I borrow your car for something I need to do? Sure. What do you think about this? <laughs> He's gonna like stand over to the side. Yeah. Oh, I'm here. Like, can can you see me? Like, he's doing it all for the right reasons. You know. Doing it all for what? Lint biscuit talked about <laughs> you know what I mean like, yeah. 
So her mom's a total screw up and we won't even pick her up. She got a phone though. Mm hmm. And she's just kind of vibing, you know? What's wrong with that, you know? She's chilling. Actually, no. Well, if Travolta picks up, I'm on my way. Yes, I'm on my way. Didn't even say, never mind, I've got a ride. Yeah. And they're like, hello? Hello? <laughs> Answer the phone. Somebody <laughs> pick up. Pick up. Pick up. <laughs> oh, hi, ma'am. It's you again. Yeah, hi, look. <laughs> well, she's literally passed out. Yeah. High, drunk. Whatever. Love, of course, I mean, of course it would have been a lie, but it's like, she doesn't want to see you, like, clearly not true, but yeah. whatever, you know. Got the earring. I got something I have to do that you can't be part of. Like, okay, all right, good, and then he leaves, and then gets killed, and she never hears from him again. She's like, not even yeah. crying yet. Yeah, I mean, she's not like, even making any sound. Like, hey, sh- 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 it's like if you walked up somebody you don't even know and you have something to tell you and they're like, what? And you're like, shh, sh- don't say a word. Like, it's like, shh, it's okay. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, sir, I'm at the line in Burger King. Like... Just looking to get my I'm crown. I'm at the Burger King. Go. Go. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> and then Don Cheadle's like leaning up against the fence like. They're going to, oh, him and, they're going to have a little rendezvous here in a second. Yeah. Like, but he's like, going to be following him right here. Yeah. He's like, what a life you lead, Stanley. Like, Jobson. Like. Because he said something about, let's, I want to tell them. Yeah. I, I want to sit on that house. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he literally was there. Like, That's gonna be this other guy right now. But yeah. Oh, I remember when he took a picture of yeah. that moment of him just like sitting there, like. <laughs> so he hit the guy, but then still one is having the guy be in the car. Yeah. This chase thing's hilarious. Like they're running, all of running. They're going places. They're going through. Meanwhile, he crashed Halle Berry's car. Yeah. I mean, she probably wouldn't care that much about that, but... But, yeah. Still irresponsible. Bad friend. The camera. <laughs> but it's not a laugh. It's laughable. Like, they all roll down this hill, basically. Yeah. And I love Don Shields' face here, like, oh, I guess I gotta do this <laughs> crap. <laughs> he would have broken his knees. Like. 
I'll know that yeah. guy's the one who, yeah. It's so stupid. Like. <laughs> Let's just throw ourselves yeah. down the hill so we can get back to him. Oh! <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. It's wow. all about the lack of control, though, in our digital spheres, man. Like, Okay. <laughs> It's like they literally just took the camera and threw it down, and it was just like sliding or something. It's like that scene in uh, Clockwork Orange where Kubrick literally just threw a camera out the window and like was like, "Oh, we still got it." Like, or like that time there was GoPro in a Peter Jackson movie. Oh my gosh! Like one of them Hobbit movies, yeah. I saw that here a while back because I'd never actually seen it. I just yeah. heard you talk about it. It looks so awful. Like, no, because what's hilarious is cut in the middle of this big barrel chase scene. Yeah. It's just all of a sudden this, yeah. and you like, totally throws you off. Yeah. It's like, looks like footage somebody took like at a Disney ride or something. Yeah. Like, We're still acting like that was in Texas, I guess. So. That going against parole, I'm vacationing. Like. Well, the fact that he did something that was lawful, I don't trust that. You know? Yeah. And your program, I love it, said yeah. the subtitle's not carnivore program. Trip down memory lane. I mean. <laughs> well, see, the beta club, like, NC Maybe they went, yeah, like, maybe they were, went, they were in beta club together years ago, you know? Your friend Torvalds. Well, you want to be an Imagineer? <laughs> Our card. <laughs> Call me a beat me if you want to reach me. Is Kim possible? He's like, okay, well, whatever then. I don't know that. <laughs> Yeah, set it up. Set it up. Ha- go ahead and log on, and then we'll hack in after that. <laughs> then we'll go in. Any- what is it? Go, go anywhere, anywhere. Steal everything. Meanwhile. <gasps> She's got a wire.
Sweaty. Shfetty. Shfetty. Shfetty Jack. Man. Jack in. Storm. What? Same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> the same things that happens when you steal everything. Oh, by the way, your car is messed up. <laughs> oh, by the way, I crashed your car. This looks friendly. But he would clearly be on to him now, yeah. you know? Like, well, again, it, it's clear that she's like a triple agent, actually, yeah. so, yeah. But theoretically, like, yeah. I remember, like, these, quote, higher-end coffee shops being depicted a lot in the 90s and 2000s in yeah. film and TV, and being like, wow, these places look so cool and new and blah, blah, blah. And, uh... Going for almost a, a higher end version of what Starbucks, I guess, was around this time. But so basically, I think it's the like, first Starbucks I, I was ever it, officially in was the Barnes and Noble one. Yeah. I guess. So. so what I guess they like, uh, basically, they said they took the money that they, you know, took from drug lords. Yeah. They, and like we're gonna use it. Yeah. For or whatever. Just stuck it aside. Yeah. And yeah, and so it's worth nine and a half billion now. So their whole thing is they're gonna. Again, steal everything. Yeah. Well, they've logged on. Yeah. They're preparing to hack in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they've not gone everywhere no. just yet. Or anywhere. Anywhere in particular. Because they don't need to go everywhere. They just need to go to that one place. Yeah. But it could be anywhere. They're going though. to go to the place, yeah. Right. World Bunk. <laughs> World Bunk. The Weltbank. Where? Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> Where you are. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love that when they're that like? That, well, focus, for a second like, they were clearly in focus, and then it yeah. like made it not in focus, just so it can go back, just for that quote edgy look. Yeah. 
this is movies like uh, Enemy of the State or like later on the Bourne movies where it's like computer enhanced. Yeah. And it's like way better looking than it actually would be. Like, who? You know, like, I mean, yes, but. That's the coolest man in the world. Look right at him. You think this is a game? Jobson. Source code. Just enter your social security number. <laughs> I'm not seeing it, but I've Looks heard Black like a, Cat, like yeah. you know, that Michael Mann movie, has a lot of these shots showing like hacking in like what electronically is going on below the surface of the wires and all this stuff. Like, that is one of those challenges of depicting hacking on film is to make it visually Look like interesting. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Which almost makes it seem like it's not all that interesting, really. Yeah. It's the modern heist. That's the thing you're going to say, the wiring, it's like, all that wiring can do is its job. Send electricity from here yeah, to here. Yeah, it's like, like, okay. Here's a homie. In his abode in Alexandria, Virginia. This easily looks like one of those houses in Modern Warfare 2. Yeah. That you're going through those uh, basically DC suburbs. Yeah. Like. Download your file. <laughs> Sam Shepard saying that over the phone. <laughs> uh oh. They got pics. Gonna get posted. <laughs> Gonna get tagged. <laughs> You know, I got DD That is funny to remember, of course, mm -hmm. that he is doing all this for the government, technically. Yeah. Did Frank T.J. Mackey look like him, you think? Yeah, a little bit. The hair, especially. Well, even, oh, I, I meant to say uh, T.J. Mackey from uh, Libra. Oh, Libra? Yeah. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I imagine him looking kind of like Tom Cruise does in Magnolia, anyway. So, but that the '60s era of that, okay, yeah, like a yeah. little bit of a longer hair, yeah. like a beatnik type, you know, yeah. like. Oh, let's have another overall metaphor for no reason. <laughs> no, he's like, yeah, yeah, not really though.
Yeah, we got a team, uh, you know, just have him killed. All right, here's the scene. Now he's hacking in. So in this scene, he checks all the boxes. He logs on, he yeah. hacks in, he goes anywhere, and he steals everything. Does he steal everything, though? Like, like in a vibe way. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Like, 50,000 watts of funky. Fifty thousand watts of funky. That should have been his name, Rusty. Yeah. Says Stanley. He would be like, "I'm Rusty," and he's like, "Yeah, indeed." He's like, I really am Rusty. He's like, "All right." No, but he's coming again. to he's coming to moment of clarity though. He's about ready to steal everything. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we could do this on one point five right I now. Know. <laughs> like he's a DJ. Yeah. I'm sure that's how some hackers see themselves. Crypto algorithm. Yeah. Crypto? It's <laughs> totally failed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other day it got hacked and lost like a trillion dollars of oh, value. Oh, it got hacked? That's what it was? I think so is just what happened. Was it him? It might have been. I mean, was Gabriel behind it? Maybe he like, was, yeah. Gabriel Shear did it all. Like mm -hmm. He's got the money somewhere. Believe me, if they can hack the FBI, mm -hmm. they can hack some idiots that do crypto. Yeah. You know, like even still a little bit from notorious going to the wine cellar and finding out some, you know, some secrets. Oh, that's where he finds that body, right? Yeah, yeah weird. On the other side of the. Dang, how much wine does he got? Bad so is that really Travolta? A corpse? He's instantly just like, yeah, we, we need to go. L.A. Yeah. Ever heard of Harry Houdini? Yeah. Misdirection. <laughs> you say you've said this constantly for the past week. Misdirection. Like. Meanwhile, oh, this is where they have that car crash. Yeah. Hold on. So we're like an hour in, and they haven't really got to the, like, bank stuff. Yeah. It's like, can we get there, please? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's basically got lucky in instances yeah. like that. I mean, if we make it all the way across. 
He's like, I'm here in a little bit. He's like, I can't drive this. Learn. Yeah. <laughs> that. <laughs> I've got a clip of yeah. that somewhere or a picture of it or something. Like, you know, total brace for impact moment. Meanwhile. Okay. Why didn't he have it ready? Yeah. I mean, he's already wanting to leave his own abode. Oh, we yeah. got to get out of here. Why for action scene? <laughs> Yeah, with this scene, it's almost like they were like, well, we haven't got to the bank stuff yet, so I guess we need to have an action scene. And yeah. It was like impromptu car chase, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not even complaining when I say this. I think this is actually smart. Most kind of action Wait, thrillers learn yeah, like this don't have as much action as you think they do. Yeah. They fool you into kind of making you think there's more than there is. Which I don't even necessarily think that's a bad thing. I don't yeah. think, but... Uh, but then you watch something like Freebie and the Bean, and it's like every other scene is like a set piece or action yeah. scene almost is what it feels like anyways. We really thought a lot of that. Well, that is why him. I know everybody talks about it, but that is why Fury Road is as good as it is because I know the whole thing is a action scene, basically. Yeah. you know. Or like even a movie like uh, Where Eagles Dare, which like for the first whole bit of it doesn't have much action really at all yeah but the last whole half of it is just non-stop like action yeah. the whole rest of the time like so it was like i can't drive this learn and he learns how to drive a stick shift in like two minutes yeah. like, i mean it's kind of again kinda, very okay, matrixy so, like let, just but he's logged in. on yeah He's hacked in. Yeah. He's going anywhere, yeah. literally. So next, he just has to steal everything. Yeah. But again, it's by very way, all this is just, like, oh, he just jacked yeah. in and just learned. By the way, all this is like literally just happening in the middle of L.A. Like, yeah. <laughs> this would be a really bad idea for Gabriel to do yeah. because then it's like. But I guess from his perspective, it's quote pure self defense, but yeah. it's also all this destruction. Drawing attention to whatever madness they're in, you know, encased in. And then he just puts the gun down. French fries on the ground. <laughs> yeah, French fries. Hanging out. They're a little late. So literally, what was any of that yeah. that just happened? It's like that set piece in uh, Batman Forever. It's just like uh, towards the beginning, where where it eventually ends when he drives up the side of the yeah. uh, building. Yeah, it's just like you go back and think about any of that. It's like why did any of that happen? Like, yeah. <laughs> but that at least is between like a superhero and some villains who are clearly already wanted by the police. This is like yeah. blowing their cover wide open yeah. in the middle of one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah. Like, it's just like, what? Like, but again, technically for Gabriel, it was self-defense in terms of but, this team yeah, being but set like, against him. Here we go. Yeah. Oregon. Our scene. 
Yeah, well, that, yeah, because I guess that makes sense because those were the people that he had sent, he had sent so it wasn't Shepherd, technically yeah. legal that it was happening anyway, but, like, yeah. I don't know. It just seemed pretty foolish. Yeah, uh, but all whatever. around. Like, it honestly would have been better for him to stay at his home and, like, do it there. Yeah, because, you know like, I mean? he's like, like oh, I don't feel safe here. Oh, you feel safe out in the open. Right, the it's like, it would have been like, better for you. That would have played even more into the self I mean, he loves playing in the urban jungle, though, I guess, right? Why did he go all the way to Oregon to do this? Yeah. Unless he's from there, I don't know. Let's send Maybe he was, Oregon. like, deep down wanting to get out of Dodge in Virginia, yeah. thinking, oh, well. But then here he is. Maybe he's from Oregon. Yeah. Senator from Oregon. That's what I was saying. Yeah. That's not right. Do I? Tying up loose ends, Bob. Me to certain senators right now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Actually, a little over fifty percent of them. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does he think he's going to do with yeah. it? Misdirection, like what? <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. It's like he was genuinely more offended that he was going to disparage Thomas Jefferson than yeah. I might die. R.I.P. to a real one. Well, so then now that that operation isn't going to work because he's dead, it's like, what's their connection? What's their angle? You know, it's yeah. like, what, they're just going to do it just because they want to, just because they can go anywhere and steal everything. the whole idea they is that um, from Travolta's character, Gabriel's perspective, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to finish what he didn't have the courage to stick to his conviction. And I guess do. they have enough. Uh, I mean, if they literally had a helicopter and everything, I guess they have enough stuff to to you know, like they have enough uh, material at their expo uh, their disposal yeah. to like carry out the stuff on their own, I guess. But soon. It's abandoned theater. It's all theater yeah. anyways. It's all a stage in which I'm going to tell you who I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> me when i'm reading an essay and the students are going off and saying oh, oh this so is this is tied to hoover we yeah. should have known 
Yeah. But, you know, they're like basically filler, and I'm like, I don't know why they <laughs> tell me this. The invasion? Question mark. The whole world. Yeah, that's basically what he's going to say here. Tactically <laughs> nuke. After we steal everything. <laughs> I'm going to unplug this. He's so sure about that. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. Why? Mm. Like, those old Hummers. Yeah. Remember in the 2000s, those were starting to really blow up, too. Yeah. Old Jeep Grand Cherokee just went by. Remember those? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, no regard yeah. for whoever's even in the way. Just, all right, we're going to turn now. It's all for freedom, I mean. Yeah. Freedom fries. Did you see his face? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're proud to be an American where at least they know they're free. Yeah. yeah freedom ain't free. <laughs> wow. Uh, key. <laughs> he doesn't even like say, I'm not going to ask again. Just like, you get it. Dale. A lot of da Dale must have had product placement in this because you get another Dale logo. At a certain angle, that looked like a bunch of sushi for a minute. Like, <laughs> we're going to have you eat all this sushi. 
There's that inside edition story we saw the other night about that yeah. nut job woman who ate like 32, 30, 32 pieces of, pe- pieces of it. Like, She's like, I'm, I'm dying. It's like, well, well why'd you do it? <laughs> well, took care of him and her, I guess. It's funny that he's rightfully not really worried about this. It's just like, well, yeah. whatever. <laughs> you know. Wow. It's like they don't even care about her eye care. Here we go again. So that's a little bit too quick of a transition. Yeah. It's like it feels like there was some stuff that happened. So like in the he had to there. call him out, call yeah. him up. All right, I'll work with you. And then they went there and negotiated. Yeah, I, guess, I feel know. like there needed to be a little bit more there. It's but. A little brisk. Not even a lot, just like a little, but. No, that's see, that's something another movie would do. It's like you just well, get one it. that would function more clearly, <laughs> like. I mean, yeah, I, I understand, I guess, what happens, but it's yeah. like, I don't know. I think it'll be in Swordfish, too. Should have been a uh, sequel spinoff with this and Gone Fishing called Gone Swordfishing, where it's like Joe Pesci and Danny Glover and that match wits with Gabriel next. Yeah. He's like, what? Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) What, she's there? Like, why? Indeed. I mean, kind of. Yeah. All right, we'll do it then. Sacrifice your own life. Yeah, I, that would be nice, you know. <laughs> I'd appreciate that. Disc. I need the disc. And he says, instantly, disc. <laughs> do it, like, do it now. This movie's actually pretty short yeah. for what it could even yeah. be. Yeah, I mean, it gets to the point. Yeah. I mean, I mean you can practically taste the brain matter. Like, yeah. Just a taste, though. We're not going to overload you. Like It's like sushi, except mm-hmm. you're not going to eat 32 pieces. Yeah. Spread it evenly over the accounts. Oh, yeah, because he also needs him to put the money in different places. Yeah. And, yeah. Verify this. Well, at least they're being relatively yeah. like, okay, well, we'll do it, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, I'll verify this, like, instantly look at it and see if it's telling the truth. Right. <laughs> what now? 
He actually didn't do yeah. it right. Did he forcibly get rid of all the money? Yeah. Now she at least gets away. Yeah. But he's going to be st he's going to be stuck around for a while. So all the money's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did that on purpose. Yeah. Internal clock. What he's like, no, nah, even I know that's BS like. Oh, but I know where it is. What? Ooh, he's got one over him now. No deal. I'm thinking, no deal. He thought about it for like two seconds. As I said, the decision to essentially lynch a he black He literally just said it'll feel real good. I don't think so. Yeah, not remotely. Going 60 seconds, please. You know? Yeah. This yeah. director really is retweeting himself. I mean, go everywhere. Mm hmm Good. He's going to shoot her anyways. <laughs> I think about that specifically all the time, that moment. Monte Carlo. Of course, that's where it went, you yeah, know? Right. Why would he want this guy to verify anything again? He just he just pulled one over on him earlier. He'll verify, yeah. Well, I mean, it's only fair. Not really, but, you know. And she'll be alive yeah, later. So, actually, who cares? She was DEA, Stan. So it doesn't make sense, though. It's like, she was DEA. It's like, then why didn't the DEA come in earlier and stop it before they ever got to the bank? You know? Yeah. Like, this is stupid. Like, <laughs> and the reason is that she wasn't really exactly yeah. 
But it's like when you think about it from his point of view, it's right. like why wouldn't they have stopped it already? Yeah. Like, but I don't know. Well, I could have told you that. They're going into the that. bus, you know? Like By the way, did you notice on the poster there's like a rocket launcher sitting over in the corner? Those rocket launchers, oh, I guess. I did notice it's that, like yeah. what? Like <laughs> what? Love too on the poster if you look at it like uh Don Cheadle the way he's standing yeah. against the wall. If you look under Swordfish too, it says password accepted. Yeah. This bullet. We needed more of Vinnie Jones, frankly. Yeah. Us too. Like. I love that. Sometimes it's soon. Before you say Cat in the Hat. You can tell he wanted to be in that Cat in the Hat movie. Oh, as yeah. Cat in the Hat, you know. I mean, he probably smelled a paycheck, too. He could have had. I mean, he loves money. Yeah. You know how he loves money. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> the shots of the jet getting ready. Yeah. Like, oh my god. <laughs> and they say another movie, another movie would do something like that about the other thing. It's like, yeah, every other movie would also yeah. show a shot of the plane getting ready. Like, I don't like these hypotheticals. It's like, why yeah. would a killing one child have anything to do with it? Right. It makes no sense. I understand the, like, it's about trying to put human life on a scale yeah. hypothetically, but it also just literally makes no sense in a real way. Why would that be the thing? I don't know. He's got like a uh, loyalty discount. Like. Yeah. That was a big thing in the late 80s, early 90s, after the end of the Cold War, the whole idea of loose nukes. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that thankfully has never been realized, yeah. in large part because I think we and Russia have actually cooperated on making sure that those have been tried to be accounted for as possible. Yeah. But the fear, of course, is all it takes is one to yeah. get in the hands of terrorists and it's game over. Yes, this is like trying to be speed esque section of the movie, like Yeah. A truly great LA action movie. Oh. <laughs> Faked him out. Mission this Road. This movie should have ended. Is that Mission Road? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With like uh turns out Dennis Hopper is like even behind like Travolta's character, you know? Misdirection. <laughs> No, it's like him and then Sam Shepard comes back and they're and they're in cahoots yeah. and they kill Travolta off. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I 
Really? Because that's a better movie than this is. Well, but... by a good amount, yeah. And that's like a, eh, Spielberg movie. It's like, yeah, it's good. Like, but it's got Ben Johnson in it. This movie does not have Ben Johnson. Yeah, so instantly it's not But it does have Sam Shepard. Yeah. That's true. Hold on. He's not really that worried about it. He's no. just like, well. Hold on or not. Meanwhile, Lift how did that helicopter home. even get into the airspace? Like, yeah. Who knows? That guy. Yeah. Like Eli Roth with his Hollywood hair. Yeah. Why don't you just get to yeah. it? You know? This guy's so good, though, at playing like yeah. bossy, crusty, exasperated bureaucrat. Don't forget him and uh, Deadwood. I apologize. And then... Uh, Robin oh. Weiger, shut the f up. Oh, that was him. Yeah, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> well, that other guy was on Deadwood too, wasn't he? The guy oh. was just talking to him. Oh yeah, he was. He was, was the guy that was in the first, first season. season. Yeah, because I was wondering where I'd seen him from. That's right. So two Deadwood actors, even before Deadwood, you know. But yeah, he died in like the second me. or third episode. You know? Yeah. He was old. What's her name's? Uh, yeah, husband. that woman's husband who like had bought that. Uh, he had bought that. Some uh, bad CGI thrown in here. A, uh... Gotta have this moment of like, yeah. oh, people just unassuming having their little meeting, then interrupted with a. And what know, they're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, he was that guy running. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not dying to Yeah, that one guy was the guy that was like, he bought the bad. Uh, gold claim or whatever yeah. they screwed him on and they killed him yeah they're gonna explode yeah <laughs> that was really bad <laughs> Somehow Travolta's hair just looked even worse there. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that was possible, but... Imagine you're seeing this in L.A. Yeah. Just like, and you're like, yeah, hello, yeah. L.A., you yeah. know? Like... Bank of America. America. That's our intro, Thomas. Yeah. Is that what that's from? That you because yeah. we like, we walk around yeah. saying America yeah. all the time. That's what that is from. I'm guessing right. Yeah, America. You seem to re resist my efforts to educate you, sir. Right. <laughs> well, the Braves route hunting.
all those regular people walking on the street like what yeah detain they're probably just like, I just want to leave now this guy's roped in you know yeah <laughs> he stopped asking questions too. yeah I gotta say, like, you know, from Travolta's character's perspective, uh, he's been pretty blase about, yeah, I'm gonna kind of let you go, like, yeah. you know. When he let the people live, too, yeah. which he didn't have to do, I mean, yeah. you know. He's gonna do one last gamut, get this RPG, shoot the yeah. helicopter. But he has no idea really how to use it or whatever. Well, he's a hacker, he can figure it out. I mean, you put it in, you aim it, and you shoot it. I mean, you know. How funny I mean, this looks, though. Yeah. This shot here. Yeah, just <laughs> running after it. Look at that. CGI looks awful. Yeah. And then first time ever shooting it, is able to land it. Man, that's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> that now, yeah, too. hitting it, and that would be different, but being able to shoot it, that wouldn't be that difficult to do, but. Like, oh, we have to check it. There's not any more explosive in it. Yeah. You know, like. Oh, I love the old, we, uh, we brought you the body. Like, kind yeah, of moment. Brought the body. Like, by the way, how would he have literally been able to get out of this? Yeah. No <laughs> way at all. Like, wow. Then he has a misdirection flashback here in a bit, though. But, you know, it's yeah. like, how would he have made it out of that? And then he was Jewish, like, okay, a Mossad agent, like. Misdirection. I love moments like these in movies. It's like the movie's like, oh, we're, we pulled the wool over your eyes the whole time. You're just so stupid and dumb. Yeah. You didn't get it. Like, we're smart. Oh, yeah, they went, oh. <laughs> that's like what happened in the crew, though. It's like they could tell that's a fake body. Yeah. I guess not. I think, yeah, between the crew and this, we're really getting a picture of how bad early 2000s uh, mortuary services were, yeah. you know? Just like, that body identification was. We'll be in touch. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and you get to like, walk. You son of a bitch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so, I guess, presumably, the FBI just like, yeah, he was a, quote, bad guy, so, well, whatever, you just get off because of that, like. And he literally shot down a helicopter in the middle of the city, like. Mm -hmm. 
and that you know they weren't quote good people but her own mother was just murdered too i mean this is yeah. all like well whatever you know like are they back in quote midland I-40. texas take the i-40 yeah oh is he gonna go up become wolverine now yeah. or something like Gets to have the good life. Happy ending for Stan. I'm like, oh my God. Like, oh yeah, nobody questioned that they were going to be fine, you know? Like, at this point. Meanwhile. You know in a moment like this, oh, wait a minute. One last trick up the sleep. Sequel? Like, (laughs) hmm? It's like this misdirection of Halle Berry in these Caesars ads now. Yeah. It's like Cleopatra, basically. Is that her in those? Yeah. Well, J.B. Smooth. Yeah. Oh. Uh Uh-oh, password swordfish. Things were not as they seemed, obviously. All right, they've stolen everything. Yeah. So we've checked off the last box. But then the ending... Here in yeah. a minute, it's just so. He's got his Bill what? Clinton look here, by the way. Yeah. Where he basically played a veiled version of Bill yeah. Clinton and uh, like Cool Bill. Yeah. And uh, oh god, what's that movie? Primary Colors. This moment though is like what. Oh, we went back to video. <laughs> I love directed by, and it's a colon in there. Yeah. Skip Wood, your boy. By the way, I love that they did that right literally from getting the money there. They immediately did that. Yeah. It seems like that would draw attention to themselves, yeah. you know. But Any new thoughts on Swordfish? You know, it's interesting because watching this movie, it actually feels like it, it's really short-winded. It doesn't overstay its like, welcome. But it it feels like it just kind of happens, and it's like, well, what was any of that? Like, you know, it's well, just like... Well, it's like all the motivations for Hugh Jackman's character are very bare bones and very yeah. easy to jump onto. And, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's an economical movie. I mean, yeah. it's actually nice how it isn't that long. But at the same time, it feels like, like I said, it just happens, and then it's like, it's over, what yeah. do I do now? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But, Vinnie Jones. Yep. I, it's, again, it's one of those movies I think is, you know, very entertaining in its kind of cornball cheesiness, but, uh, and does just make me genuinely scratch my head. I mean, I remember when I was a kid when I was first seeing this, the whole idea, wait a minute, are there rogue elements in our government that, like, yeah. go and do stuff like this? And, you know, short answer is yes, um, which is disturbing in its all other way and it was one of those things too i do remember genuinely being like huh j edgar hoover and talking about the whole idea of black sale and then later on finding all the other cointel pro stuff that j yeah. edgar hoover did and brought awareness to me that way so that was all very public information for a lot of people for a long time but for generations like ours a weird dumb little genre movie like swordfish yeah. ends up opening the door for a lot of that stuff so i mean that's swordfish. we went everywhere we stole everything. Yeah, so we, again, we logged in. 
We hacked in. We logged on, hacked in. We went anywhere and we stole everything. All right. So we're gonna watch we gotta, this music I video guess we thing. Have to yeah, we said we, we uh, were going to. So before we move on, let's see. Special features. Uh, where is it? Planet Rock Club reel. Let's see how long it says this is. Audio. Though. So we're not sure if you're able to get a hold of this, yeah. anybody. But <laughs> Swordfish mix. It's like, don't talk, just listen, and then all this happens. What, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Access denied. I'm sure somebody's like, for them, this is the movie. It's just yeah. like, no, nah, I don't even need to watch the whole movie. This tells the whole story. I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't. It's like... basically the swordfish vibe reel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope y'all can see this wherever yeah. you are. But... It might, I was going to just check on YouTube real quick and see if it's... I tried to look earlier and I wasn't really seeing it, but... What is it, swordfish? What was it? Club? Uh, club reel something. I don't know. See, this, there is a thing called swordfish sweet scene. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not seeing it anywhere on. No, here, I so don't either. It's on the, the Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Yeah, might have been on the DVD back in the day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> In the world. Now, I, every time I watch this movie, I'll have to watch this as a little yeah. epilogue. You can tell this is really in, when electronic music was really in yeah. vogue and like, oh, the cool new thing. <laughs> this better be on Spotify, this track. Like. <laughs> You can see they just disappear yeah. when it was slowed down like yeah. that. Not blowing chunks everywhere. You th- I thought I'd seen it all, you know? You know, there's always something new waiting right around the corner. What <laughs> <laughs> if this would have ever aired on TV, like on MTV or on HBO or something? I think it was probably just made for this Blu-ray. Yeah, I don't know. The DVD would have been back in the day. <laughs> you see that? Yeah. <laughs> it's totally nonsensical. Yeah. Yes, like. It's all about a vibe. Vibe setting. This is like the most childish thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's also unmotivated too it's just like cutting between all these scenes like yeah it's like it doesn't have a cohesive yeah, rhythm to the it, dance yeah. to the music I mean <laughs> surprised it hasn't shown every scene from the movie by this point it probably has basically as quick as it's cutting Show AIDS just laying in the bed and talking on the phone. Yeah. 
the funniest thing was it showed the uh, porn producer husband laying dead yeah, on the right. floor, just like, why, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, wow, I have no words for any of this. Yeah. Like, they've showed a couple things more than once now. Yeah. Like, so I don't know what any of that was, but wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> don't know if you could see any of that, but okay. I think this actually is on okay YouTube. It's called. <clears throat> uh, if you search "Planet Rocks Swordfish," it's called Paul Oakenfold Planet Rock Swordfish Mix. I'm just trying to see if it'll load the videos here. Internet's being slow, so we'll check later. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what that is. Yeah, though. but that's swordfish for yeah. you. Wow. <laughs> what a transition. Yeah. So, um, Mr. Probst, what have we got next week? Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. What about Bruno Tatari? It's part of the deal. Bruno cancels out what they did to my father. Something we ought to hear what they had to say. No, 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 no more. Not this time, Consigliere. No more meetings, no more discussions, no more Salazzo tricks. You give him one message, I want Salazzo. Not it's all out war, we go to the Some match. of the other families won't sit still. They hand me Salazzo. Your father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. Well, then business will have to suffer, all right? And listen, do me a favor, Tom. No more advice on how to patch things up. Just help me win, please, all right? I found out about this Captain McCluskey who broke Mike's jaw. What about him? Now, he's definitely on Shalazzo's payroll and for big money. See? McCluskey has agreed to be the Turk's bodyguard. What you have to understand, Sonny, is that while Shalazzo is being guarded like this, he is invulnerable. Now, nobody has ever gunned down a New York police captain, never. It would be disastrous. All the five families would come after you, Sonny. The Corleone family would be outcast. Even the old man's political protection would run for cover. So do me a favor. Take this into consideration. All right, wait. You can't wait. Huh? Can't wait. I don't care what Celeso says about a deal. He's going to kill Pop. That's it. That's a key for him. Got to get Celeso. Mike is right. Let me ask you something, Professor. I mean, what about this McCluskey? Huh? What do we do with this copy? They want to have a meeting with me, right? It will be me, McCluskey, and Salazzo. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now, we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for me, Then I'll kill them both. <laughs>
Hey, what are you gonna do? Nice college boy, huh? Didn't want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get up close like this, and bada bing, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Come here. You're taking us very personal. Tom, this is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop that's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a, a, a dishonest cop, a crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming to him. That's a terrific story. We have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They might like a story like that. They might. They just might. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. Again, I told you, I told you we were going to make it up to you. Next week, we're going to be doing The Godfather. This is a big, big podcast moment for us. From 1972, directed, of course, by Francis Ford Coppola. Starring a great many huge names, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, James Caan. Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall, Jim Cazale. A lot of great classic actors. Uh, Godfather, good movie. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's really good. Um, I mean, I guess the easiest we thing, with this? well, I guess the easiest way to begin is that I don't think this podcast would exist without The Godfather. Yeah. Um, that sounds kind of hyperbolic, but yeah. pretty much... Uh, that was the movie that, in a lot of ways, made me fall in love with movies in a serious way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like uh, Mad Men, which kind of, you know, I always say that, tell the story that when we first saw The Godfather, it would have been Mob Week of 2007 on AMC, and they were airing ads for Mad Men. So it's interesting, too, that Mad Men, in a lot of ways, would later on inform me about how television should work. Mm-hmm. And The Godfather informed me about how movies should work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, pretty much at their highest level. Because in my opinion, I'll say, I think that The Godfather is the greatest film ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. And that's pretty much all there is to it. So. so, what would even be the point of us doing a podcast on it? Well, again, you we'll know, see. when we first conceived of this podcast, I mean, we were coming up with, I say this with about several movies we've done, mm-hmm. come up with like the list of movies we're going to talk about. I mean, undoubtedly, I mean... We love the Godfather individually, but also collectively, it is just a lexicon. It is a mm-hmm. language. It yeah. is, in its own way, and I don't say this easily, a religion of sorts yeah. for what it means to cinema and what it means for us. So, I mean, we hold it in the highest reverence conceivable. Um, so, we're not only doing the first Godfather movie, we're also going to be doing the second Godfather movie immediately after that, Godfather 2, which we, of course, also love and mm-hmm. also conceive of as a classic. It's the second best movie ever made. Yeah, and then also we're even going to do a bonus track, bonus track episode about all things Godfather outside of those two movies, including even a discussion of the Godfather three, as well as even the coda, the recent yeah. director's cut that French Ford Coppola made, uh, as well as discussion of the book, which I'd already read and I'm currently rereading, as well as most importantly though that podcast, The Godfather: The Game, which anyone who knows us. <laughs> <laughs> knows how much we've played that game and video games. It's yeah. a religion so in be itself. A, really, the so. first time we're, we're talking about video games in any yeah. real way, and that'll take us down probably other rabbit holes talking yeah. about video games in general, um, as well as the Godfather Two video mm-hmm. game, which I've which, played a little more than you have. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe even some thoughts and reflections on the Godfather Monopoly 
Uh, I mean, we have, we're going all know. in. I mean, there's we're, so the next we, three listen, weeks are going to be all things on. Godfather. We've logged on. We've mm-hmm. hacked in. Mm-hmm. We're going to go anywhere, mm-hmm. and we're going to steal everything. Yeah, we're going to go through everything. So I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways we've been preparing our whole lives for these podcasts. So mm-hmm. not to put pressure on us because I think we're going to do a fine enough job. But these movies mean literally everything mm-hmm. to us. And yeah. I mean, trying to go into the next week to even put into words what these how and why these movies are great i mean what even sticks out at first i mean we're going to try to walk through that i guess next week yeah but um i think for me and this is a very big abstract way to put it uh the godfather obviously represents kind of a moment in the new hollywood system where you're starting to get we've talked about at length certain directors like george lucas robert altman guys of a lot of various stripes scorsese Coppola represented someone who had had his foot in the door slightly longer than some of those and had made a movie like The Rain People, had, uh, you know, really wanted to make movies more like The Conversation, uh, but literally took The Godfather as a, quote, paycheck type of movie, um, and then ended up creating the greatest, not only American film of all time, but arguably the greatest film of all time. It literally, you know, it's also been said by, I've heard some Italian-Americans say it's like the Italian-American gone with the wind in terms Mm -hmm. of, for them, what it represents in the culture. Um, The most quotable movie of all time. I mean, top to bottom, the cast is amazing. I mean, they real Coppola really knew what he was doing casting all of those actors at that moment. Yeah. And the faith that it took for him to get out on a limb and cast Al Pacino as Michael. And, I mean, he ended up having one of the most, you know, obviously rewarding acting careers over the past 50 years. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you get somebody like John Cazale who actually doesn't have a huge part in the first movie but really blossomed even by the second movie into being one of the most exciting actors of that period. You have like Diane Keaton who ended up herself having one of the biggest careers an actress could have over the last 50 years. Somebody like James Caan delivers one of the great like, you know, performances as Sonny in that movie. And then above all of that, of course, you have Marlon Brando's presence and what he meant to the culture and that being a huge comeback movie for him. Yeah. And it's one of those things that naturally he's not in the movie as much as you even remember him to be, mm-hmm. but his presence is so large and outsized for that. Um, the period detail is exquisite from the 40s into the 50s. Um, and I think one of the reasons among many it was a huge success when it came out was that that was a moment where you were still getting kind of the airports of the world that were trying to you know, be an approximation of spectacle and scale in a moment in time when actually the in vogue movies were these smaller, more mm-hmm. independently minded things coming from the likes of Arthur Penn or Mike Nichols or, again, um, what will eventually be the George Lucases of the world. But I think what really makes The Godfather stand out in terms of 70s filmmaking and why it still lasts is frankly it's reverence for the medium itself it's reverence for being a historical epic mm-hmm. and not and not being frankly all that subversive within that mold no. now the second one yeah. goes off and does some more different things with that mold but the first one especially i mean it was classical then and it's classical now i mean it just feels like a movie that frankly was conceived in cinematic heaven and just yeah, right. you know fed to the that people god the made air. this movie yeah. i mean literally I mean, that's how great I mean, it is i mean the only thing I can, and I risk going too far into details about the movie itself, but I think what works about the movie continually for me is that epic scale, but the characters are so precise mm-hmm. and so immediate. I mean, you see the first scene of the movie, which yeah. is obviously everything about that movie is famous, but yeah. to, and everybody says, you want to make a great movie, open it with a wedding. 
Yeah. Like, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Yee Yee has done that. Yep. You know, the uh, Taiwanese film from uh, Edward Yang. But mm-hmm. that literally in that span of time, you're immediately introduced to Don Corleone and then all of his children. And you see literally each of them and is this even different and thing. Right. And, all and the you, immediately that. when you see them, it's like you already know who those people are yep. immediately. Right. And the whole story of the movies ultimately is Michael Corleone, but you see all these other people who are ultimately influencing him to become that person. Yeah. The other thing I'll venture to say is that just the, it, we've said it's our game of Thrones basically, but yeah. that every little thing that happens, it's like, Oh, this big chess piece has been moved. This chess piece has been moved. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's all these kind of things that like that, that are happening. And it's all this little strategies, but it actually, it means something. You know, it makes yeah. you feel something. Like, I mean, I think the greatest scene in American movies is probably the Salazzo murder. Mm-hmm. Just because of it's in the middle of the movie. Yeah. There's all this immediate import that it has about emotionally, um, stylistically. And for as big as the and, scale is for the whole movie, right. it's very much like it, that scene is shot through the specificity of Michael's when am I going to do it? Right. And this yeah. very particular intimacy in yeah. the midst of this huge, larger tapestry, I think is what makes yeah. the movie And that, that acting is kind of the first half of the movie is one type of Michael Corleone, and the second half is another type of Michael Corleone. And that sits right at the middle of that movie is that pivot point between I'm going to become this person. And like I said, I know that's a specific detail mm-hmm. about the movie, but that I think represents just the structure Mm-hmm. of the film is what the movie is and that that is why the movie is so great and why people continue to talk about it is the power i mean people joke the power that it holds mm-hmm. like but the power that that movie holds is beyond compare of anything else in movies so. uh and another thing too is part of that is just the sense of scale and time passages mm-hmm. over the course yeah. of the movie. i mean it's a three-hour movie so it's long yeah. But it, you know, Which it's one of those things that doesn't feel long right. in large part yeah. because you get, frankly, a slice of everything in American life over the course of that movie. You get weddings, you get funerals, you get Christmas time, yeah. uh, you get uh, the summer. You just, it literally feels like every base is covered in yeah. some ways about covering Which, strangely, this the second movie, time. the second movie doesn't do that as much as far as with the time, the present time period of the 50s. It's a lot more over a certain amount of like maybe a year two years maybe but that of course also adds in the past and that and it has a grander scope even and i will say that like we we do love the first movie more than the second but we still hold the second one in just as nearly as high regard and frankly i can't imagine a world in which the second movie didn't exist which is frankly shocking that the second movie even does exist because the first one is so perfect you know touching perfection yeah. that the fact that coppola would go and it was obviously literally the highest grossing movie of all time when it came out the mm-hmm. first one and that coppola said all right fine i'll go back and do another one and he he was seeing the opportunities that would come from his career with that but to and part of the there's a lot of flashback stuff with Vito from the book that is then used and expanded upon okay, in the second movie that, yeah. well it's not even as much of a part of the book as i'm making it sound right, like but right. it takes some of that material and he co-wrote both movies with Puzo himself. So Mario, Puzo was Mario very, Puzo. Yeah, it was very active in the process. Yeah. Um, but I guess where we can leave it here yeah. is just the idea that that 
that was the highest grossing movie ever made, and people were like, "We, you've got to go see The Godfather." I mean, that it was that big of a movie, was that impressive to everyone, and the fact that that was the movie mm-hmm. that people went to see, won all the awards, blah blah blah, and now where are we? Mm-hmm. Fifty years. But later. the fact that the movie still lives in that space, mm-hmm. whereas something like not to rag on some of these movies, but something like Avatar mm-hmm. or an Avengers movie mm-hmm. will not live in that mind space. It just won't happen. Yeah, I think Titanic so, was the last time yeah. there was a highest grossing movie ever that I think actually that still does. impacted the yeah. culture and mm-hmm. remains and right. is but, iconic. But. but so I think that speaks to why we're doing the movie is because it. And again, it for us, movie. I mean, we quote the movie now without even really thinking. Yeah. I mean, we it's just part of our shared I mean, lexicon. Even, I even mean, the scene that we shared, I'm not sure how much you put in there, but it was the them planning to kill Salazzo scene yeah. of Michael and like. Just all the lines in that scene of uh, "bada bing, you blow your brains all over you." Know, Which that's the inspiration like, I mean, of "bada bing," right? And, and like, yeah. but and then even the last line in that scene of like, you know, it's not personal, Tom. It's strictly business. That literally, like, all these other people are seeing this as, and ultimately, that's why Michael becomes the Don is because he's literally seeing this as a tactical effort mm-hmm. of like, well, it's just business, like. Sonny and Tom see this as this personal thing, and they're like, "Well, no, it's not even that." They don't really. And I think see this. We're going to get into this when we watch the movies, especially the second one. I think draws us out even more. So, the ultimate tragedy of Michael Corleone is not to say that his father was a great man because his father was a murderer, but there was a quote, a code, and a certain personality to him. Michael's presence and the fact that Michael is eventually elevated as the Don and as the leader of the family speaks to a sense of I think. a message that Coppola is trying to in, in, express about the evolution of how corporate America itself yeah, was changing right. in that time, yeah. and even not only in the 40s and 50s, but even into the 70s, that, uh, and not even just re- with regards to filmmaking, but how corporate America was slowly decaying and ruining the country, yeah. and what, what how that stood in for right. the ultimate decay of America during that time. Um, it's incredibly wild, too, that, I mean, 72, when it was released, it was... Released in March of '72, um, three months, three four months prior to Watergate. Um, literally, the next one came out in '74, mm-hmm. uh, which of course when Nixon resigned. So there's a very Nixonian era, yeah, uh, aura to the movie that I think that I also want to talk about and get yeah. into a little bit as mm-hmm. well. Um, but we we're, we're love getting, us we're some getting, Godfather. We're getting a little so, too far. Yeah, into yeah. It, so yeah. we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time with one, two, and even to an extent three over the next three weeks. So this is Kyle. This is Levi. Take care. God bless. Forget about it. You know, no, like, oh leave the God. gun. Take the gun. No, well, you know, not now, at all good impressions. I mean, but. we have to leave it with Mickey. We got to leave it with Mickey Rooney. Well, we got to leave it. Okay, so we're going to. Mickey Rooney will go yes. first with his monologue yes. about the magic of the movies, but then Sam Shepard's. Yes. When, when you die. When you die. So it's absolutely fine. Take care. God bless. Rest in peace both to Mickey Rooney and to Sam Shepard. <laughs> Children. 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 When we arrive in this world, magic is all around us. You simply have to see a baby discover a butterfly or a toddler splash in the bath for the first time. Yet, as years pass, simple pleasures aren't quite so simple to find. Myths and legends fall away. Santa's secrets are revealed. Card tricks lose their fascination. 
True wonder is harder to come by. But there's always magic at the movies. Pirate ships, bicycles that fly, angels earn their wings, beautiful women marry handsome men. And we all learn there's no place like home. To destroy that magic, to shatter those moments, to me is a sin so grave as to be almost incomprehensible. If there truly is a phantom, my young friends, I assure you, it most definitely is not me. When you die, you go straight to heaven or hell. When you die, you disintegrate into energy. When you die, you're reborn into another body. When you die, you turn to shit. When you die, you travel to other planets. When you die, you get to start all over. When you die, you get marked in the book. When you die, you're rejoined with your ancestors. When you die, all your dreams will come true. When you die, you'll speak to the angels. When you die, you'll get what you deserve. When you die, it's absolutely final. When you die, never come back. When you die, you die forever. When you die, it's the end of your life. 